Thanks again for joining us whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this. It's the Metalist Podcast, and I'm David. And I am chocolate starfish, but not the hot dog flavored water. I'll be hot dog flavored water. That sounds less <laughs> sketchy anyways. Does it? So today, oh, well, well, did you, yeah, we'll get into I, that. I mean, I, so if you haven't surmised by that, or if you haven't read <laughs> anything in the description or anything just yet. We're talking about a band very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, actually. Um, and not mine. We're talking about Limp Bizkit. So I w- let's let's actually start this a little differently. Where do you stand with them now? So I've never liked this band. You couldn't avoid them for a while. Lots of friends of mine uh, did like the band. They were just most, like, not most, but I mean, I had a lot of friends that were more into new metal than I was. Granted, I mean, I was more into, like, just like rap metal, but for some reason, this the stuff these guys did just never really got me. I, and I tried like a motherfucker. I listened to the first album several times. I listened to the second album several times. I've mentioned the story. That's the first time I ever took a fucking album. Just chucked it out the window, literally as I was driving down the fucking road. I was just fucking over it. And then I downloaded the third album and... It was just more of the same, and it, I mean, at that point, I was kind of over it. But I mean, I did check them out in 2011. A friend of mine was like, "Oh, like they just put out a, another album, and you need to check it out because it's like it's really fucking good." And I mean, I listened to Gold Cobra or whatever the fuck, and I was just like, "God damn, dude, this no." And the thing that kills me is like, so, so we haven't recorded in a while. We've both been sick off and on, sometimes at the same time, sometimes at different times. Um, luckily, I've still been COVID free. I mean, I get tested frequently for work and I still have tested negative every fucking time. I don't know how, but we recorded. So I'm going to put out the new metal episode before this one. And geez, man, we recorded that a while ago. I'm not sure what all's in there. So if, if we, if we repeat anything tough shit, man, I haven't even fucking listened. I haven't even fucking edited it, man. I was just like, no, cause I was waiting until we did this. So one of the reasons why we wanted to do this was way back in what November. It I've lost track. It was of whenever like Fred was. Durst. Uh, they were playing a festival. I think Fred Durst had the big picture taken with him, which turns out to be it was a wig, unfortunately. Yeah. But I mean, he he had this look, and I was like, oh man, I'd rock that look like nobody's business, and I still fucking would. And they did the tour with uh, Spirit Box, and uh, they had an album come out last year, like and. I'm telling you guys right now. I mean, I know a lot of people that were like, I mean, I saw people like, oh, this this album was in their album of the year list for last year. I was hmm. like, what? I, I think it brought back a lot of like, you know, really heavy nostalgia vibes. Now, this is the first album in like 10 years. But I think what a lot of people didn't realize maybe is because I saw a lot of like, oh, man, like they're still doing the thing. And I'm like, dude, they never stopped doing the thing. They just quit putting out shit so much. I mean, it was 2003, 
the album with all the green on it. It was like, I mean, I remember hearing it then going, they're still doing this. And then 2005, and I was just like, they're still doing this. 2011, they're still doing this. I mean, it's like metalcore is happening, deathcore is happening, all the other types of metal are happening. They're still doing this. And it's just like, how? And then 2021 <laughs> rolls around and they're still doing this. It's probably the only thing I'll give them props on for real. Because uh, for all intents and purposes, dude, like, I fucking hate this band. Like, And this is going to be a fun episode because I don't like the band. I will say this. Um, before we get into anything, like whatever... I will kind of, I'm going to, I want to try and do it like Slipknot episode where like, I'll, I'll get all the fucking shit that I don't like out first. Cause I, I'm not going to bash the fucking band for fucking an hour and a half, two hours or whatever. Cause that's not fun. It'd get old quick. So whatever. And there is things to like about the band and things that I do like about the band. How, where do you stand with Limp Biscuit? So I guess we'll work backwards. Yeah. So I'll, no, you know what? I'll do it. Actually, like this, because I, I, I guess I should start with my where I started with them, right? <clears throat> Sometimes I talk about I remember the exact moment that I got into something. Sometimes I don't. This is somewhere in between. Like, I mean, it was the it was the around the time. First of all, as far as going back and forth on stuff we're already going to have talked about. I'm trying to avoid but that some of this some of this has to be talked about in tandem with certain things, specifically their relationship to corn. Quick question before we get into that. How old were you when Faith came out? When the album came out or the video? The video. That's probably the same. Well, I don't even know I, what I guess year I would it was, have been, but... Yeah, I guess the video would have dropped in... If it wasn't late 98, it would have been early 99, maybe. Maybe. So I would have been 13 just before 14. So preface that right there. I was the literal perfect, you know, demographic target audience going into oh, yeah. their, their huge <laughs> sure. rise, you know what I mean? So so that that's the other thing, is I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's so in tandem to start with, it's their relationship with Korn that really got them going, you know? You know, family values, dude. Like, I remember watching that. Well, so, okay, whatever it was, it was I, I think it had to be the some, uh, spring break of 98. Remember when MTV, so we're going to talk about a lot about, about MTV and how prominent that was a thing as well, right? Because they did the, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was a spring break, whatever. And I had to be 98. After seeing this name, Limp Biscuit everywhere, and, you know, seeing them tagged with the metal tag, just because we didn't have new metal even just yet as a, as a prevalent term. And so I'm like, okay, I'll check this out, because I've seen their name everywhere, and it was Sour. And if you know Sour, you know it's not metallic in the slightest. And they're playing this on MTV Spring Break, and I'm like, this isn't quite what I imagined, but okay. That, that's my first exposure, like, prominently, where I was like, I finally heard them. Fast forward however many months later, it's, if it's not Halloween weekend, it's pretty close to it. They do, on MTV, they do the uh, Family Values Tour concert thing. A censored version of what you see on the home video version of the Family Values Tour, dude. Biggest thing, 98. Actually, it was the biggest thing at the time because we didn't even know how much bigger it was going to get after that. Like, Oh, yeah. Crazy. Anyways, so on the bill, Corn Headlining, you got Lump Biscuit, Romstein, you got Ice Cube. I know there was, a, oh, Orgy, and I'm guessing there was more. Just, But those were the prominent ones that were featured. 
And it was the biggest thing in the world. The, the corn had the corn cage where it was the cage behind them playing. And and I think Limp Bizkit was fit, you know, up first in the lineup. At least that's how they were presented because they were still the newest band on the block at that time. And I hear counterfeit. And I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I like this more. I'm 13, going on 14, still figuring things out in the world. I was, this was right up my alley. That's what made me a fan right there, right? And I follow them pretty closely all the way up until their peak, when it was not even that much longer later, two years, right? With uh, the next two albums after that. And I'm defending them against people. Just, oh my God, dude. No, I, I used to like Limp Bizkit, but okay. We're talking 14 or 15 year olds talking about how they're over Limp Bizkit already. And I'm just like, oh man, Limp Bizkit's still awesome. And then I think with the collective shift in tastes happening from 2002 onward, when everybody was getting out of that whole thing. And I was probably over Limp Bizkit by that time anyways, but you know, the whole transition everybody going from new metal to the that next wave of metalcore the big big biggest wave of metalcore ever everybody's taste kind of collectively changed so when the fourth album rolls around i'm not interested at all a lot of people aren't not only that but like now it's the it's the black stain on the on the record you know what i was oh god i liked limp Biz- i hid my limp biscuit <laughs> records like i was ashamed for a brief moment in time dude I kept them separate from everything else and crazy town and Papa Roach. And you just, you know, we might get into that on the new metal. You know what's funny is like, there's, you're not the only one. I, I've heard several people on podcasts, saw several people on Twitter admitting that they liked it at a time, but denouncing it at the same time. And it's, um, I, I, for like your age, I already went through that a lot with like hair metal. Right. Yeah. Somebody, I remember back in the day, I think it was somebody on metal sucks and I'm talking years ago at this point. So you can make a whole new chart of this, but they had like a, a chart that went up by time. And I think hair metal would have been part of it. Our could have been the very first one of these where it's like a life of a, a popular subgenre in three stages. It becomes the biggest thing in the world. Then it becomes the, the, you know, you're not allowed to like this to, the nostalgic okay everything's whatever you know it's cool again thing and then it just kind of stays that way and it's a sliding time scale for which of those styles it would have been around what time and it probably was you know it probably was hair metal probably maybe i'd have to see it again but maybe grunge and then after that it's new metal after that it's you know mid-2000s metalcore after that it's deathcore and then after that who cares like like Nothing matters anymore, you know? But there, like, there comes a point where, well, there came a point where, yeah, we've talked about it before. Like, everything's on the table, you know? But prior to that, things had to die out and come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You know, and it was, it was, for a lot of people, whatever it was that was coming back, for a lot of people, was it was a strange thing. So, yeah, that brings us to now, man, where it's it's either people go oh man i hated that shit then i hate it now and then they're out the opposite spectrum now they were always good and they're still good and i'm <laughs> yeah. like where i'm at is just like hey they serve their purpose as a gateway band into heavier stuff sure um i don't listen to them on my free time but hey I, I, the cds are back in the pile 
There's plenty of other CDs I had to get rid of for more legitimate reasons, but I, I put those back. And it's just a part of the musical history, you know? And it's, everything's a sliding scale now, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's whatever. I, they, they serve a purpose. They have their audience. I heard they put on a fun live show, if not, like, technically proficient. I'm okay with them. I'm just, I, it's just not something I listen to, you know what I mean? Like, and so, like, that was the whole thing, was this coinciding with their big, oh, we suddenly are dropping an album. Everybody, the, the Fred Durst look is going viral. And, like, that tour was going off, man. Like, at first, like, it was it was going wild. And then it came to a grinding halt because somebody in their crew got COVID and they had to drop the whole thing. Spirit Box got the hook up from Shinedown on getting them out of a sticky situation. So I guess shout out to Shinedown. But it's just interesting to think how differently would things have gone if they didn't have to just put that whole thing to a halt. I don't know if they ever resumed touring or made up the dates or what it's just i'm not sure i haven't seen much but i mean i don't i don't really follow them i guess yeah so. i don't either but i mean it's because like i i've you know probably like most people i mean i heard them like uh the faith video and it's weird i mean i had a lot of friends that really liked that and i, I like the idea of meddling up or at least aggroing up like a pop song you know what I mean? Every There's a lot of people like that, dude. I mean, that Leo guy on YouTube, the 10 Second Songs guy. I mean, there's a lot of people making a pretty good living doing that. There's a band that does nothing but pop covers, dude, Our Last Night. Right, and then there's the Punk Goes Pop albums that were pretty big for quite a while. So, I mean, it's always been a thing that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. And especially around this time, you know, with uh, Marilyn Manson's new Sweet Dreams and stuff. And we'll save some of that for a cover episode. But my big thing is, like, I, I have a hard time liking a cover if... If I already hate the original, and I didn't like the George Michael song "Faith" in the first place, I thought what Limp Bizkit did to it was pretty interesting. But I mean, they didn't really change the song much, so I mean, they just kind of aggroed it up. So it's like, I mean, really, you're just listening to the same fucking song. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, whatever. Well, to your point, maybe it's an age thing. I I had never heard the original Faith Tale way after I heard the Limp Bizkit one. Well, right. I, I had songs like that. I grew up listening to Nobody's Fault by Testament, finding out it's an Aerosmith song. I mean, mm. you know, um, all those Metallica covers. I mean, for years, none of us heard that shit. I, we didn't hear Budgie. We hadn't heard Diamond Head. We, we knew they were covers, but we'd never heard them. You know, Slayer doing Dissonant Aggressor and, you know, fuck, Judas Priest, Green Man, Alicia with Three Pong Crown, like Two Prong Crown, like... I mean, it's a fucking Fleetwood Mac cover. Like, most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. There, um, It happens a lot. And and so it's like, and we've talked about it too with like your first single, like the thing that really puts you on is that fucking big cover song. And it's like, you know, that's that's a really dicey thing. I mean, that could really fuck you over or it could really put you on. It worked for these guys big time. Yeah. Fear Factory I, with I, Cars, I, Alien Ant Farms. Well, no, criminal. I mean like no, I mean like the first song you put like Marilyn Manson's first thing was Sweet Dreams. Like that was the first most people's first exposure. I mean, people Fear Factory had videos. They they were on MTV, you know, Headbangers Ball and stuff before Cars. It was just that was the one that really fucking made them big. But they had stuff before that. I mean, these guys got big and had I mean, was, that was the thing that put them on. Bad Wolves comes to mind. You got to be careful with that because, you know, you you end up with a lot of fucking sales, you know, or streams now uh, solely because the one the one song. I mean, it was probably different back then because it was they didn't track it so much. You know, it was now everything's kind of tracked. So, I mean, Bad Wolves could get on and say like, oh, well, there's 
looks like everybody's just listening to the cover and nothing else. Yeah. Not saying that's the case, but they would be able to see that if that was the case. Where back then, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that there was a way for them. I mean, maybe there was a way for them to track it. I just don't think they cared was uh, returns, you know, CD returns they, or the, CD people selling CDs. Yeah, so yeah. you buy, you buy the, the album for the one song. You don't like anything else. You take it back. You know, you buy something else or you fucking just straight up fucking sell it and just say, fuck it. I've so, heard some interesting stories about how like they would oversell, but those would still count and they, knowing that they'd be returned and they're like, we don't care. We got, you know, and it's not sales here. It's, it's units shifted. That's right, the secret. Right. Yeah, so you know what it's, I mean? I, I mean, but again, like it can really make or break your, your band. And from everything I've seen, like most of the time it works. So, you know, good on them for that. It's and like I said, I mean, I just, it's my only problem with that is I just don't like the original song, but like I, you know, so a friend of mine, you know, grabs the fucking album and, and I'm listening to it. And, um, the first thing I notice we'll get into in just a minute. The second thing I noticed was the production on it. It, it had this wobble to it. And I'm, you know, now, you know, when everything's going really fucking like everything's going at the same time, it, it, it there's this, there's a wobble in there. It's like a wobble, wobble, wobble kind of thing going on. Not necessarily sounding like that, but things are, are, um, they're audibly, you know, loud and loud. And like, there, there's a pulse to it that I don't think is supposed to be there. I, but what I think it is, is it's a, I found out years later, in fact, last year, a lot of that is how you run your compression. And I think it's because they had so much shit going on and whoever did the mixing probably wasn't sure. And, you know, and there's probably no one telling them, Hey, take this out. Hey, let's drop this down. It's just, Hey, let's just give them everything because this was at the time where people were starting to, um, it was the start of it. It wasn't as bad, but this was at that point where everybody was just brick wall compressioning, compressioning everything. So people found out with digital recordings and digital mastering and shit like that, like when I mean, we can get shit loud as fuck, we just got to compress the shit out of it and make everything fucking loud. And, and this was kind of the start of that. And and uh, I I hated that sound. And and to some degree, Soulfly had a little bit of that on their first album. Um, I'm more of like the the faster song, songs like No. Um, songs like biotech or not biotech um is it biotech anyway That's, like uh, the faster song fire um fire was another song that had that a little bit and it was all kind of these i used to think it was andy sneep mixing it but it actually was um andy Wallace. several different people well yeah. yep it was several different people everybody from sneep to robinson and and um, the only person i knew that was back then that was doing like a lot of new metal stuff that didn't have that kind of sound was Colin Richardson, and he, but he had a more of a uh, less um, in-your-face kind of a sound, more of a, a polished, professional-type sound, where this stuff sounded like, um, it sounded like really good demos, like raw, like it had a, this rawness to it. Now, that's the thing I did like about that first album, lots of energy, you know, big fucking energy. I mean, you could tell these guys were fucking hungry. They probably just recorded their set or whatever, but you could tell these dudes were those kids that are in there just excited as fuck and, you know, studio shenanigans and blah, 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 and just having a good time or whatever. Second album, I went and bought that album. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to fucking try Like, I'm going to get it in this fucking band, whatever. And, you know, obviously we heard Nookie first and, you know, that was the big single leading into it. And it was like, okay, whatever. I really, really liked the production on the second album. I thought it sounded so much more professional. It was way easier on the ears. But one thing I noticed with the second album was there was less 
it was less energetic. There's a lot more, they leaned more, more into actual hip hop instead of like hip hop mixed with metal to the point where you have a couple songs where, I mean, there's barely any guitar and there's one guitar, there's no guitar. There's one song with no guitar on it at all, but you have several songs on there where there's the guitar is super subdued. I mean, if, if Wes is doing anything, it's kind of like some delay pedal fucking kind of shit in the background. Yeah. They really, really went, went into, okay, we're, um, Probably more so than a lot of the bands, and I always wondered if that was a play on, like, you know, let's get Fred, or Fred wanting to get um, a little more credibility from the hip-hop side of it, where, you know, hey, we're not just, uh, you know, mixing rap with, we're not rapping over metal songs, we're not just mixing hip-hop and metal, like, I'm an actual fucking rapper, like, or, or you know, our singer's an actual rapper, and and I, I always kind of wondered if that was the case, and, and it kind of kept going from there. But the problem was the substance. There's no substance on the album. I mean, it's it's a lot of um, whimsical, you know, throwaway frat boy, frat boy saying type songs. And it's fine. Like in normal hip hop, I mean, you have artists like that. But I mean, at this time, that's when you were starting to have hip hop going through, like coming into its grunge phase. So hip hop was getting a little more because you had Eminem coming out at the same time and he was really bringing an introspection to rap music that has, you know, I mean, it's, it's still going now. It's, it's always been kind of going and um, rap, interestingly enough, or hip hop, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm old, so I call it rap, yeah, but they've had several like glam, glam phases shifting back to a grunge phase, you know, so a real party kind of phase, extrovert kind of phase, switching to an introvert phase. And now it's just all kind of, with everything else, it's all kind of on the table right now. But for this, this was the stuff, like if this was actual rappers doing this stuff, and I mean, especially back then, I was a huge rap fan. And if this would have been, like the rappers that were doing this stuff, the majority of their stuff was like this, that was the shit I didn't want to listen to. And so when when Limp Bizkit started doing it, it was just like, eh, and eventually I chucked it out the window. You know what I mean? Like I was I was over it. I was just like, dude, fuck this, fuck this band. Fuck, and this was on Significant Other. Yes, okay. this is Significant Other. And then I heard, I, I don't think I ever really bought or burned Chocolate Starfish. I, I but <laughs> you know roundabout sort of way. I mean, I end up hearing like every fucking song on there, like whatever. After that, it was always kind of like. It was it was kind of like that um, morbid curiosity, you know, like oh man, Limp Bizkit just put out, and I was you know getting shit for free, so I was like, oh, I'll I'll download it, and check it out, see what's going on. It's like man, they're still doing this shit, and I mean some of it's Fred Durst. We talked about it on the uh, Soulfly episode, I believe. I guess before we get into Fred Durst, I would like to get into Auto and Rivers. To me, they're the only reason this fucking band even works at all. I've heard a lot of people that don't have any reverence for Limp Bizkit love that rhythm yes. section. You know? And that's how I am. It's They make the whole thing work. They are the one consistent thing throughout the entire fucking group. They are the one thing in times where on that first album where it seems so unfocused. They have these ideas of what we got. Well, we have a DJ, like a famous fucking DJ. You know, let's just throw him in there. You know, it's, it's, oh, I got this riff, throw it in there. I got this fucking, you know, this scream part, throw it in there. It's just, they're throwing everything at the wall. 
It's very unfocused. But at times, they really fucking nail it. Just not as much on the first album as they do like on later albums. But the one thing that really fucking is consistent the whole way through is fucking Rivers and Otto fucking rule. They fucking play off of each other. I mean, I'd say it was it's dudes like these. It's guys like this. That same kind of thing, and we'll get into it more on a corn episode, but man, Fieldy and Silvera really locked on. Chancellor and Carey just locked on. It was the age of the rhythm section, man. Arguably what they were doing was even more interesting than the guitars. It was like uh, Brad Wilk and um, uh, Comerford. You know, it's, they were locked on, man. And a lot of that's because, I mean, you had, to play this kind of music, you had to have that because you're filling space. You're not riff oriented. You're you're beat oriented and and groove oriented, and so it's you have to have that locked on. You could give me a fucking entire Limp Bizkit catalog with zero guitars, zero vocals, zero fucking DJ Lethal, and give me just Rivers and Auto, and I will listen to it, and I'll listen to it a lot, and I'll love it. They're that good. And they deserve recognition. They don't get a whole lot of recognition. When you mention this band, the first thing that comes in is the man in the fucking red hat. Let's get to it, Fred fucking Durst. Say what you want about the guy. I fucking personally had said for years I fucking hate the guy. You know, I mean, I don't know him personally, whatever. I've never known him to get in any trouble or do anything super shady. I've heard he's kind of douchey. But, I mean, whatever, dude. Like, that's okay, fine. He's not nice. Like, big deal. You know, he's not rapey he's not pervy he's not you know I mean, he can get misogynistic or whatever but i mean that's the rap part you know i mean that's just listen to rap music dude it's just kind of there you know and i don't know if he's like that in real life he might not be like that in real life i mean it might be his his character in this band or whatever his lyric content but say what you want the guy and, and people now like younger people now they might not understand this but the guy's a fucking star a flat-out fucking star. He has a charisma about him. It makes you pay attention to him. Love him or hate him. It makes you pay attention to him. And I think people have forgotten that this dude got into other rappers' songs. He was all over MTV. He was dating Carmen Electra, for fuck's sakes. Like, dude, come on. Like, Carmen, like, you fucking get out of here, man. That chick's fucking hot as fuck. And he was dating her for a while. You know, he was, he was huge. You had people going for that look, khaki fucking pants, some type of plain t-shirt, a fucking red fitted cap, backwards preferably, and some fucking skate shoes. I mean, he had, he made a whole look by literally just dressing like everybody else. And, And somehow everybody's dressing like this fucking guy. He comes back out years later. Puts on a fucking wig, dude, and a fucking outfit. And he's even got me paying attention going, fuck, I, that looks, that look is an awesome look. It worked. He just has that sort of thing. And, and people don't, you know, you, if you grew up now and you're just constantly hearing about people, like those people you were saying, like that um, kind of disavowed ever having loved new metal or even liked it for that matter, constantly like, you know, fuck this guy. This guy's a fucking idiot and this guy ain't shit, you know, blah, blah, blah. It would be hard for those kids to understand how big this dude was and why. But he's very charismatic. It was interesting watching that crossover happen in real time. You know what I mean? Again, MTV still, MTV's maybe at its peak. I don't know, because the 80s and the 90s, early 90s, it was a whole different beast too, you know? But like at its peak with 
TRL, which go I'd hand say it, in was hand. At its, it was at its cultural peak. Right. It wasn't as musical peak, but MTV was definitely at its cultural peak. Exactly, yeah. Before they started doing, before MTV became reality shows and game shows and shit. It was starting to be, it was already, they had already yeah. had the real world and stuff like that. Yeah. But, dude, the, the, uh, the TRL thing, like mm-hmm. that was, in my opinion, that was really kind of like the straw that broke that camel's back. It was, was. and that's the crazy TRL. thing, man, was like, it was still very much uh a niche-ish type thing up to that Is it point. Carson Daly? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean even he was gone yeah, by the time that the show guy. ended. Um, right. So, like, yeah, man, it was, it was them and Korn and Kid Rock. Like, to think of some of the bands that got on there. And it was they were competing for space with... Before we go any further, did you watch the uh, um, Woodstock 99 documentary on HBO Max? I haven't watched it yet. I, 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 watch it. I had been putting it off for the longest time. Because I heard it's such a bummer, and it is. But <laughs> there's some there's some interesting tidbits in there. But they reflect on the things leading up to that point and they're happening around there too, where it was yeah, man, it was the oh fucking down with boy bands because the boy band thing was happening super. Oh dude, at the listen time. to uh let me find it real quick. It is on Significant Other. They are so after the outro, there's a track. Now this was all one track. Off of track 14. So it went a lesson learned. No, it was off the outro. So they had the outro go, and then you had the you know the secret track or whatever. And it's it's so on Spotify, it's just called Rant Matt Pinfield. Mm-hmm. It's literally what you're saying right now. Yeah, it was it was the thing, man. It's it like was... as if Limp Biscuit is like a black metal band that's going yeah, against yeah. all of society. Like it's like, whoa, wait, what? Like but at the time, if you were there, you know what Matt Pinfield is talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, so that's another thing too, man, is like anytime you talk about Limp Bizkit, for the most part, it's dudes maybe maybe in their late 20s at the youngest, you know what I mean, that were there for at least some form of the prominence if they were little kids and getting it peripherally. I don't know what like actual young people think about Limp Bizkit anymore because I really do think it was that you had to be there to have any sort of like you know, judgment about it. And like, there's just nothing like actually about their music that has any relevance today, unless you were there for it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what this whole thing is more than anything else is nostalgia. Cause I was 14 when Woodstock 99 happened and watching that documentary brought back all these feelings. You know what I mean? Like it was interesting to think of it. Cause I haven't thought about a lot of that since it happened almost, you know, 20, three years ago or whatever and just i think another thing people maybe something a little for the kids and maybe a refresher for some of the the people that were there you know there was a a huge backlash and hatred from one camp against boy bands because this was also at this at, at the height of boy bands yeah and not just boy bands, but there was also this crop of pop singers, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, um, Pink, Mandy, Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore. There was a lot. And, of you know, you had NSYNC. Backstreet oh Boys, 98 Degrees, <laughs> That's the other O-Town. one, Backstreet Boys. Yeah. This was like the music that was being, you know, like MTV was like a Don King. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to and put it. And yeah. it was this... It was this. It was Limp Biscuit, Eminem, Corn against all of that stuff, you know. And 
it's so weird to think because this stuff is easily as commercial as that shit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But for some reason, these guys played guitars, so they thought they were harder yeah. or something. It's it's like, okay. I mean, and even um, like Blink-182, you know what I mean? Like that was right. another thing on their team. You know, it was – yeah. It was these guys were acting like they were so underground and they were against the commercial shit. And I mean, you guys literally were the commercial. Yeah. I, Yo, we, people I, were wearing Jinkos because of you, not because of 98 degrees. Yeah. A lot you of people, you know like, what I mean? Like, I didn't know any better at the time. You know, people just, were dressing like the $3 bill graffiti guy. Oh, yeah. So because of, because of graffiti, because of hip hop and all that, they weren't doing that because fucking in sync. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be something? Oh, I mean, come on. <laughs> People were jumping. You know, and you had the opposite guys. I mean, I had friends that were like super into like R and B and stuff, and it was the same thing with those guys. It was like, oh, I like fucking, I like Joe to see. I like you know, boys to men. I like fucking you know, Keith Sweat, and like I like these R and B singers. You know, I don't like that fucking boy band shit. I'm like, it's white R and B. It's white R and B. Why don't you like that shit? You know, mm-hmm. and and they there was just this cheesiness about it. I guess. That really, I mean, I, at the time, I, did, I didn't like it, but I don't remember actively making fun of it because I didn't pay any attention to it. And and here's the thing for fucking younger people. This is where Justin Timberlake came from. Now everybody yep. loves that guy, right? So it's like, I even love that yeah, dude. Tide's kind of turned against him it, now, it, too. It sure. But, I mean, it's really weird to think that, like, out of all those fucking dudes, I mean, he was the guy that kind of came out of it. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, so... There was this huge backlash against that, and and a lot of it was was years later we found out that a lot of that was set up by MTV. Makes total sense now, yeah. And a lot of it was set up by just the cultural zeitgeist that MTV was propagating to the point where you know Eminem was a smart kid. He knew that if he threw in a line, I'm going to sit next to Carson Daly and Fred Durst, find out who she gave head to first, and talk about Christina Aguilera, that that line's going to hit. And it's going to hit hard. He's smart enough to know that. So it's like you have that seep, Neo. Now you have the cultural megaphone being thought of by the artists. You know, how is this going to come out and whatnot? And it's like there was a real easy way to be popular with a certain crowd back then. And that was diss boy bands, diss those girl singers, you know, diss MTV, diss Carson, diss TRL. You know, I mean, MTV was huge. Uh, uh, TRL was huge on Eminem, and he dissed it constantly. And he probably really did hate it. But at the same time, you got to think like, well, wait a, wait a minute. Just because I hate these people doesn't mean they're not buying my shit, right? So it's the same thing with Limp Bizkit. I mean, there was a lot of hate for Limp Bizkit. A lot of, you know, real metalheads, quote unquote. Oh, I fucking hate, I hate Limp Bizkit. I hate corn. I hate new metal. I, you know, so it was this, this whole fucking like... There was a lot of pushing and pulling going on and it was and it was all being broadcast right on MTV and in the magazines. So here's here's the interesting thing. I'm trying to figure out it was it was Corn that kicked down the door with the TRL or TRL crowd by having either got the life or um Freak on a Leash first, right? It had to have been. Yes, I think Freak on a Leash was the f- first single uh, no, I mean, I know Got the Life came out first. It was, it was. Oh, the, did it? Yeah, that's why I'm saying which one was the prominent one that got on TRL. Well, both of them were that, huge on TRL, dude. So whatever yeah, one yeah. came out first, that's the one. So, okay, Got the Life. So then, 
again, watching the crossover happen in real time was just like, okay, it's it's Limp Bizkit. For all intents and purposes, because all this stuff was new and we couldn't pick out that many of the intricacies at first, it's like, oh, here's another corn with a DJ. An actual rapping, right? It's an actual more rap corn than corn really was. Yeah, which in they, hindsight, that I mean, was a big thing for a lot of people too. Like, it was, here's corn. With an actual rapper, like well, this is what we. Yeah. There's a lot of people, friends of mine, that wanted to know what it, what would it be like if if uh, Jonathan Davis actually rapped, and it was like, yeah. okay, well now we got it. Suddenly, you're you know, in hindsight, that hip hop element of corn starts looking very minimal once you get Lump Biscuit in the room, right? Yeah, it's literally just the music. Yeah, and it's it's the rhythm. It's just the rhythm, and like certain things with the guitars, but like. Yeah, then once when But that's Biscuit it, shows I mean, up. pretty much. Yeah. So, like, that's the thing. You got, again, you got the videos for Counterfeit. I think there was, like, two versions of Counterfeit. It's what back then when they had to film multiple versions of videos for whatever reason. Standards and practices on MTV changing their mind. And then there was the video for Sour. And none of them, like, they had a buzz, but none of them really hit. The big, big, big defining thing was Faith. When it hit TRL, it blew the fuck up. Mel Gibson was there to promote Payback and they just happened to show that and he got super into it and he became friends with all, you know, Limp Bizkit and went to their shows at the time. Like, to see, like, it's just like, oh, people are actually really grabbing onto this. Like, this has legs. And it was all because of Faith. If it wasn't for Faith, we wouldn't be talking about Limp Bizkit. And I think, it's funny, reading back on this, apparently Ross Robinson didn't even want Faith on the record. He thought it was a dumb idea. But it was that and... um, it was some Paula Abdul song they used to cover. Like, it was like, dude, this is what we do. Like, this is kind of what got us popular in the first place was doing these pop covers back when they were starting out in Jacksonville. And their whole thing was, like, if you do it, I guess it was pretty, it was a lot more close to the original one they used to cover Faith. So their compromise was, let us do Faith and we'll make it heavier. And that was the compromise they made. So, yeah, TRL, it blows up. It's number one. It shoots to number one eventually and stays there for a pretty decent chunk of time. So now the next Lump Biscuit record is very anticipated all of a sudden. In, oh, know, yeah, dude. From winter to the very beginning of summer of 2000, or 1999. Very, very formative year for me overall. I'm 14. I'm going to my first shows finally. This is when I'm like pot committed on music finally. 13 was the warm up. 14 was, okay, this is it. It's, it's go time forever. And obviously there's a lot more to it than Limp Bizkit, but you know, credit where credit's due, man. <laughs> sure. I had, I had the shirt. It definitely doesn't fit anymore, but I, it's somewhere in a box somewhere. If it's not just rags now. So I'm of the mind, even I'm sitting there going, man, are people actually giving a give a shit about Limp Bizkit when it's their, when it's their own music now? And sure enough, again, it's either MTV spring break, which was the biggest thing in the world. Or it was the summer programming, which was just an, a longer extended version of that. You know, I can't remember which it was because, you know, spring break and summer aren't really that far apart. But all of a sudden it's Limp Biscuit, whatever, and they're going to destroy some boat in Can- or Cancun with a, with a stick of dynamite or something like that. Jesus. And, yeah, that's just the type of shit they had <laughs> back then. I, I think I've talked about it on the Fear Factory episode where it was spring break definitively. Again, 1999. And there was a wrestling thing in Cancun or something like that. This is around the same time when all that's popping off. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna debut their new song Nookie on this spring break thing, and they're gonna end it with Fred Durst blowing up a boat, a shipwrecked boat with dynamite at the end. And I'm sitting there going, oh okay, I can see people latching onto this. 
Never in a million years did I think that that song would end up surpassing Faith as a popular song. They got their foot in the door and they actually successfully got yeah, through the rest of the building. A, they, they did They did it. a fucking follow-up. Yep. And they the follow-up blew up. And then the follow-up after that blew up even fucking harder. Yeah, man. The follow-up to Nookie, and I'm, I'm speaking on fucking break stuff. I feel like that's, it's a lot more relatable. I did it all for the Nookie, you know, I mean, that, yeah, sure, it's kind of a funny fucking little song. If you if you look at the lyrics, there's some funny shit in there, whatever. But Break Stuff, I mean, I fucking hate that song, dude. I've it's always hated the song. Yeah. It's I don't like, and dude, most of it's like, I just don't like the fucking music to it, right? But I'm telling you right now, everybody's felt this song. Whether even People who've never even heard this song have felt this way. Just one of those days, you don't want to wake up, everything's fucked, everybody sucks. It's like, yeah, everybody has felt that at least once in their fucking life. You know what I mean? And everybody's been pissed. But, you know, there's probably a lot of people who haven't been pissed, pissed enough to break something, but they've been pissed off enough to think they might break something. And it's like, when you write a fucking song like that, it doesn't matter how what it sounds like, dude. I mean, everybody can relate to that fucking song. You know, and I mean, dude, it's fucking huge, dude. And we'll get into that more later. Yeah. So just, again, to see this astronomical rise too, The Roach Coach, awesome podcast that specializes in new metal. Documents the Biscuit especially well. Shout out. Yeah, and they talk about the timeline of new metal, and it's been a minute since I've been able to tune in, so I'm sure they've elaborated on this more. But they defined the release date of June 22nd, 1999, a day I remember very well as when it was like, okay, new metal is like not just a thing in the metal and rock world anymore. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's it's mainstream. It's crazy to think how much it got attention and how big of a thing it was just outside the confines of guitar. It was, music, it was the dude. new, it was the new glam. Yeah. It was like insane. it literally was the new glam. That's how big it was. It totally took over metal the same way glam did at the time. If you weren't playing glam, no one fucking cared. Not until Metallica came around. And even then, even then there was so many more people had no clue who the fuck Metallica was unless they saw them open up for Ozzy Osbourne. It was it, glam was that big, fucking new metal was that big. There were other bands doing other shit. I mean, death metal still going on at this time. In fact, it's probably in its fucking golden age at this same exact time. And I mean, yeah, death metal is a, a bad example because no one, you know, it's a smaller fucking genre. But you had a kind of a, an, another new genre happening at the same time: black metal. Granted. Again, it's extreme, so it's not going to get as big. But the majority of this stuff had screaming. You know, a lot of new metal bands had screaming in, in it. Tons of cursing. It was extreme in a different way. You know, there was a lot of people, because it was a lot different than grunge. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, a lot. A lot yeah. Grunge was really fucking tame. To some degree, a little bit more tame than fucking even some of the glam stuff. But glam was really tame. Very commercially written, very pop-oriented. Grunge wasn't as pop-oriented, but it was very fucking tame on the ears. Not a ton of gain on the guitars. Nothing's really fast. And, 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 and then this comes out. And it's just like, fuck this, fuck that, fuck yeah. me, whatever. I All mean, low end. Yeah, and it's like, you know, fuck these bitches. Oh, I'm going to get fucked and fucking, yeah. you know. I mean, it was just insane. And it was just like, 
you know, big bass sounds, fucking huge 808 fucking drops, man. You had fucking DJs on fucking albums with guitars. You had, you know, synthesizers. I mean, there was so much shit going on. And it was, and at the same time, the biggest bands that were the biggest bands, we're talking Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica, they weren't even doing what they were doing before this. Yep. This was possibly the weirdest time for music. This is where music, everything changed, mm-hmm. and music had to find itself again. Yeah. And the reason it needed, it was it was a destroy, erase, and prove kind of thing. New metal had to come along to fucking destroy what everybody thought as, of as, this is what we're doing, and this is what can be done in metal, and reinvent it so that we can have genres like blackened death metal, blackened deathcore, metalcore. Gent, it, they had to do that because what they did was they made it so that we could now mix anything with metal. And that's why I loved it so much and it still leaves such an impressionable, you know, a lasting impression on myself, I should say. Like, that really taught me, hey man, it doesn't have to all be the same thing. Like, I could never, I liked the bands with the long hair and the leather jackets, but that was never me. It's not me. It's never going to be me. You know what I mean? To see these guys, not that I was wearing fucking Jenkos and mesh tank tops and bleaching Yo, my I hair with Jinkos. the beads. I had like four fucking pairs of Jenkos, dude. Yeah. Like that was my shit. I was like, yeah. yeah, dude. But like, it wasn't about doing that either. It was just saying, hey, you can do something different with this. You know what I mean? Right, Fast right. forward to seeing Dillinger and they're just dudes in jeans and t-shirts. You would never know that they're like the craziest band on stage ever. I remember taking Alex and Alex and I both seeing Converge for the first time, seeing Kurt Ballou and going, that's Kurt Ballou. He looks like he wants to sell me insurance. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? And <laughs> now you can do whatever the fuck you want, dude. But yeah, man, up to that point, I mean... If we're really being honest, like it kind of started seeping in with the alternative metal movement, you know, with Alice in Chains had the leather jackets and long hair, but they had their own spin to it too. And that right, evolved and Faith over No More was around, well. Suicidal Tendencies was around, but they were just getting everybody primed for this. Exactly. Yeah. This is what the logical conclusion to that was. And it's crazy to This think. was what really broke that fucking door down. And I believe we may have said that in the last episode. Probably. But, that's but like, we're emphasizing. And because, like, here's the other thing, too, was this movement, in which we nobody knew it was a movement up to this point either. It was just kind of a continuation of what was coming before. But, like, up to that point, what is it? It's corn. You know what I mean? Really, really dirty. Talking about some very fucked up, psychologically traumatizing things. You know what I mean? And so, everybody, I, I always point out, Lincoln Park as being okay here's like the safest version of that Chester Bennington still talking about really gnarly depressing obviously unfortunate things but it's like the package like like everybody I've heard somebody call it baby's first metal band and I'm like that's perfect <laughs> however if you really look at what goes between that dude Limp Bizkit because what Limp Bizkit did was they took that foundation corn made right and they added the party to it Okay, we're going to do this, oh, but we're yeah. going to have fun. And Korn and bands like that had a sense of humor, but it was a little more subdued. It was a lot darker. Whereas Limp Bizkit was the, hey, man, you like fart jokes? Here's the musical equivalent of a fart yeah. joke, dude. Dick you know and fart I mean? jokes, big time. Yeah, so while there was that momentum built off of what Korn and you know those first initial bands did, you know, Deftones to a degree, Limp Bizkit opened the, opened the door wider for everybody to, you know... <laughs> kind of literally if you're looking at Woodstock 99 literally you know knocking the walls down well that's the other thing too these guys in. had a fucking legitimate DJ Corn didn't have a DJ you know these guys had a legitimate DJ a dude who was so famous off of fucking one song jump around 
Dude, I mean, that song was... Uh, when I graduated high school, I moved out to Connecticut, dude. That song came out, and I mean, the entire East Coast was going crazy. That song fucking... I mean, and it's still... It's still one of those songs that gets in movies all the fucking time. Movies, commercials. It's just that kind of a... You know, sporting events, it's that kind of a song. And I mean, dude, like... I was a huge DJ Lethal fan. I wasn't like a big House of Pain fan. I, I, but I liked DJ Lethal, and I liked a lot of stuff that he did with some of the other rap artists as well. I didn't really like what he did on the first album because I feel like, again, it was unfocused. They just didn't have it quite down yet. Yeah, yeah. But by the time the second album came out, I mean, you know, he's, he's in there. And then by the time the third album comes out, I mean, definitely, like, Lethal knows... And they know where to, you know they know where to use them and how to use them. But you know by that time it's two thousand. Like everybody's kind of figured it out by then. Mm-hmm. But the first album, it's like no one really knows what to do with it. You know, it's like okay, well, you know, I mean, prior to that, I mean, I'll, the only thing I could think of that really had stuff like that in their songs was like Tom Morello. Well, so that was the idea, man. He talks about also. I want to cite uh, Banger TV's Metal Evolution has a very great episode on on new metal coming from the perspective of somebody that's not into new metal at all his whole thing was does this even belong in the discussion of the metal family tree it's an interesting you know thing to look into well worth it and shout out to banger tv in general love what they do shout out so they talked to both tom Morello and dj lethal and his and dj lethal's whole thing is i'm trying to be the opposite of tom Morello because tom Morello's whole thing was i'm making the dj scratch sounds with my guitar and dj lethal's whole thing was well i'm gonna do the opposite and i'm gonna do guitar you know vibes with my with my scratching yes, yes. and i'm gonna do it through a marshall stack and like which i didn't know until watching that also side note I didn't know DJ Lethal was in House of Pain until a while after. I was like, oh, shit, that's the oh, same really? guy. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm coming into this not knowing shit, you know? When you're like eight years old, you don't really give a fuck who's playing what. You just like well, how that's it sounds. Yeah. You know, because I, I was... I didn't, know, I didn't know Paul McCartney and John Lennon were in the Beatles yeah, yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. I, when I was young. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, Danzig sang for the Misfits? You know what I mean? Because by then it was, you know, but like... Because I was really big when I was eight years old, 1992, well, seven going into eight. 92 to 93, dude. I was all about what was going on. <laughs> it was the most mainstream at the time commercial rap there was, but that was my shit, dude. Naughty by Nature, House of Pain, MC Hammer, obviously. You know, like, I don't. I haven't heard NWA yet. I don't even, okay, I, I guess I liked Ice Cube because good day. Whatever was on Jam and Z90, I don't even know if that's still a radio station in San Diego <laughs> County, but... That was my shit when I was like a really little kid. So obviously there was some resonance when I figured out, oh, that's the dude that did that shit I was listening to as a little kid. Not, in hindsight, not that long ago, but eight to nine to 13 to 14 is a huge jump. Oh, yeah. And so that kind of got me listening to rap again, dude, because like up to that point, it was I was still kind of finding myself. I still loved Cypress Hill, but a lot of that kind of got lost by the wayside. So, But it got me listening that's to Ice Cube is. again. It got me listening to... You know, anybody that was, like, featured on any of those songs, whether it be Limp Bizkit or even, um, what was it, the Trey from the Far Side on Children of the Corn? Oh, yeah. Or anything like that, dude. Like, like I got, like, there was, I was, like, into rap again, big time, because of this movement, you know? And again, Limp Bizkit being the one that really, 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 really pushed the, the hip-hop element forward. Right, and they also, because they had the famous DJ, they also, like some, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of another band that has uh, stuff like this, but, like, really, the person who kind of gets overlooked a lot, you know, is Wes Borland. 
Yes and no. Like, I, there's some people I, that's all they care about is West Borland. Right. Okay, well, riff-oriented people, because, and it's deserved. He doesn't have a lot of riffs. I mean, this this isn't a riffy band at all, and I'm not no, saying no. they're not playing some kind of riff, but the riffs that they do play are unimportant. They're, they don't really stand out much. There's not a ton of them. He's very experimental. He's more of like a fucking prog, like a prog player. Yeah, absolutely. But to the point, yeah. he's also like a pro, like his look and stuff. Like he was very big on like visual arts and and um, very experimental to the point where I don't think he really fit the band very well. Well, so that's what I think is kind of cool. That's what made it Limp Bizkit and not just the Fred Durst band is that he had that presence where it's just like okay, you got this fucking total bro white rapper dude right with the with the baggy pants and the red hat. But then you also had this guy that was constantly wearing the weirdest shit and it was never really the same every time. Just trying to be weird for the sake of being weird. Well, and it might have worked in the sense like in the movies you do, you always have your fucking psycho character and then you have your you have to have a straight man to make that work. Yeah, it right? was the yin and yang, dude. It was Right, it was and a it's good like, balance. you know, you have Fred Durst who's just commanding all the attention and you have the weirdo in the corner. And it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, I get that. But when you listen to when you have a guitar player it's like this. The the risk reward is huge. Yeah, no kidding, right? You know, now for me, he misses a lot. For the for the most part, I don't like West Borland at all. Um, I don't think his guitar, his his uh, high gain sound is terrible. I don't like it at all. But when he uses the clean guitar and like a little yeah. bit of delay, da da da, sounds outstanding. But the playing, like I said, it's it's risk, it's big risk, big reward, and and that's the thing. It's like there's stuff that he plays that I'm just like, God damn, like this is fucking brilliant. And then there's other – the majority is just like to the point where, I mean, I don't even notice that he's on the song. Yeah, no, like, I, sure. I'm not pay, I'm literally not paying attention to guitar at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, like there's not a lot of guitars that could do that to me. Yeah. There's just not. I mean, the only one I can think of is like fucking uh, Greg from fucking Mudvayne. Like, yeah, true. He's just kind of there. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just like fucking dude. That's the only other guy I can think of offhand that 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 really had me just like wow. I've I'm physically listening to a band that I do not. Holy shit! Like I didn't even think that was a thing, but it is a thing. Yeah. And but again, you know that's the risk side, right? It's just like oh, you know, like people might like this, but they don't like the guitar on this fucking part or whatever. They have a lot of fucking songs that I'm just like man, like I really like these parts, mm-hmm. you know. But here's here's another thing. I've always thought this. I always thought this band could really fucking benefit from making way shorter songs. For sure, yeah. Keep your songs 245 to 3, you're fucking gold, dude. Because mm-hmm. what, what you end up having is, um, generally with hip-hop stuff, you're, you're going to have, not everything, but I mean, most of the stuff, you're going to have one beat through the whole thing. And then you're kind of embellishing all over top of it. The problem with that is it could get really boring really quick. Now, there are certain beats. I will admit it all day. Like, there's certain songs, certain beats, certain rhythms. I can literally listen to that one thing all day long. Most of Isis's catalog. I mean, I could listen to those dudes just play the same fucking rhythm forever. Yeah. You know, um, but the thing is, like, if it's not, then it gets old really quick. And I think that's what Master P and No Limit Records figured out was... People's attention spans are smaller, and we're going to give you something. And if, if it's interesting, you just listen to it again. If it's not interesting, you're on to the next song in two and a half minutes. You know, so 
the thing that the thing that ends up happening is with this band is you end up with like some whack ass part that doesn't need to be in this fucking song kind of breaks the song for you or some whack fucking DJ part that just doesn't really need to be there or you know what man Fred's running out of words yeah for sure you know what I mean like or you know what man I'm sick of listening to this dude bitch about this thing (laughs) you know like he's just you know like fuck man get over it already like you just get to that point because they have songs that are almost five minutes long and nothing's really changed a whole lot now that I say that, my number one is actually like over five minutes, almost six minutes long. But that's because it kind of goes, it's a little bit of a different fucking song for them. Even at times, even a three and a half minute song with these guys is just like, fuck, dude, come yeah. on. Most definitely. Like, this song could be two minutes. Get there, get it, you know, get there, say your thing, get out. I think they would have benefited from that. And, and, and again, I'm not saying it's like, oh, I'm just saying trim some of that fat. And I just really think, like, you know, now you fuck it. Now you're on to something. You, you got something going on now. But, yeah. you know. Maybe it's because they were still in the initial stages of, like, what they were experimenting with as far as their sound. I mean, like, because if you listen to the most raw version of that, obviously because this is his thing, but with Ross Robinson in the first album, dude, they have no idea what they're doing, either of oh, them. Yeah. And they're just kind of figuring it out, throwing shit against the wall, and some of it worked. Like, back then, I didn't care. I liked the whole album. But, like, going back now, it's just like, yeah, man, they didn't. As far as actual cohesive songs, you know, and sequencing of the album, they were a little off the mark in a lot of ways. So it's amazing to think, again, in the span of two years, if you think about, like, when it was their peak, it was three years, 97 to 2000, with three albums in those three years, and just they made the most of it, dude, absolutely in every way. I mean, you look on the first album, dude, there's a fucking song, Stalemate, that's six minutes and 14 seconds. It's got a huge outro on it, a decent, like, minute-long intro the intro is really cool but i mean it's one of those weird things i mean especially at this time it happens a lot with like black metal where you have these intros to songs that have nothing to do with the actual song right and it's like it's it's always so weird so it's it's almost like it should be its own track because it's like almost it's a little over a minute long but then you think well maybe it shouldn't be its own track because it's nothing really it doesn't change at it all it's just kind of this like this i don't know it's really weird kind of a thing but then it's i mean you cut out the outro and you're still with you're still there with like an over 5 minute long song and it's just like jesus fucking christ like the song there's not enough different shit going on yeah <laughs> you know, it's for like, sure you know, and this, like this one doesn't need to be this long you look at yeah. faith though faith 2 minutes 26 seconds mm-hmm. there you go right there you just yeah, one of it. my other favorite songs. I shouldn't. Well, you know, one of the other ones that's on my list is also around the two minute mark. I'll dude, say that. Break stuff. Two forty six. When they nail it, they really nail it, dude. Oh yeah. And, I, and again, I think a lot of this band is high risk, high reward. So, and I think that's a lot to. That's a lot of. Um, that happens a lot with like a lot of the uh, like experimental, quote unquote, cutting edge type bands. You know, yeah. like now, so here's my next thing. I mean, we're deep into this. We haven't even gotten to fucking honorable mentions, but did you for, I mean, for this or otherwise, did you listen to all their shit? Like, did you, have you listened to Cold, Gold Cobra, Still Sucks, Unquestionable Truth? Got parts of it. Cause so here's the thing. Again, we got the raw product. We don't know we're getting anything after $3 bill, y'all, right? Then significant other hits and you're like, okay, this is. Again, we've already emphasized it's way more melodic, it's way more commercial, it's way more polished, it's way more accessible, it's way more everything that $3 bill all y'all isn't. It's not as abrasive, it's got more 
you know, hip hop crossover. Like it's like, okay, this is the band they were meant to be. You know what I mean? This makes sense now. Right. And I'll tell you a little story. When I was a little kid, dude, Ninja Turtles was the hugest thing. And the the door was already kicked down because of because of Karate Kid. That's what was, you know. Dude. But like, you know what I mean? Like Karate Kid knocked down the door for martial arts in a bigger way than even Bruce Lee did, arguably, right? And so like by the time Ninja Turtles becomes a thing, dude, everybody wants to be ninjas. Fucking ninjas are the sickest thing. Oh yeah. So once it starts getting into the middle of the Ninja Turtle cartoon being a thing, which now everybody, you know, that's easily the most popular interpretation there's ever been. But like now everybody's like, okay, it was fun when we were kids, but it's definitely the Adam West Batman of the Ninja Turtles franchise. You know what I mean? And all the love in the world to Adam West, because I love Adam West too. He was my first Batman. But you know what I mean? It's like the silliest, hey, this is cool when we were kids, but like that's, you know, it's just cool when we were kids. So... I remember at one point. I'm really dude, curious where you're going. Okay, so I'm getting. I'm just about there. <laughs> so I remember at one point the Ninja Turtles, and again, this is like the most safest for children version where they're all smiling and everything's colorful. There's much darker interpretations where they actually do ninja shit. Like during, you know, throughout the course of like them trying to sell toys, where they're like in party clown outfits and like, hey, it's Farmer Michelangelo and stuff. At one point, I remember as a seven or eight year old going. Man, are they really ninjas? Like, like, did, did we just forget that whole thing? <laughs> Obviously, other interpretations, they really drove the ninja thing home. And it was cool. Lip Biscuit from Significant Other, and even more so onto um, the fucking one after that with the long title. Chocolate Star Thank Fish. you. Up to that point, I remember just stopping and going for a sec, thinking about where it started and where it is now, when it's the biggest... It was if it wasn't the biggest thing in the world it was one of the biggest things in the world again mainstream crossover like we'll never see again we talk about how metallica was the biggest is the oh, biggest yeah. metal band there's ever going to be even more so like people knew fred durst name more so than james hetfield you know what i mean like like just you couldn't escape it dude yep. he was in fucking zoolander he was doing special press events and cameos and movies and tv shows and whatever else he was a pop culture icon all of a sudden from going back and you know three years ago and he was just some dude in a red baseball hat that was backwards bitching about girlfriends because that's mostly what upon further reflection the first three albums are <laughs> so Pretty to much. this point where I, after you know some time around that i'm just going man good on him it's a I'll fast forward hot or chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavor water is the fastest selling album in rock history still 22 years later it i cannot stress enough even with all the words coming out of my mouth i can't stress how big of a deal this was it's wild to think something in this world could be like that ever again now having said all that ninja turtles are they even ninjas anymore <laughs> limp you see where i'm going with this limp biscuit the further it's getting away i'm just going man is this even metal anymore you know what i mean like like just they've been so far removed from those roots not that they were like huge roots anyways, but you know what I mean? From just being like, what the hell is this anymore? You know what I mean? Like, and that's when like it started going. Cause I, I was still on board a little after, uh, the third album came out and then eventually me and everybody else, not everybody, but a lot of people are just like, man, what the hell? You know what I mean? Like everybody just kind of moved on and it's hard to pinpoint whether it was just a personal thing or it was just the collective mood of the world was shifting or what, but just like it peaked really, 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 really hard. And then it changed subtly enough to where I didn't even notice it at first. You know what I mean? Flash forward three years later, results may vary. There's been inner turbulence with the band. 
Wes quits, and he quit. Wes and DJ Lethal actually parted ways with Limp Bizkit a number of times, to the point where I even lost track. Wes Borland quit once on the way to record um, $3 Bill Y'all or something like that. Maybe DJ Lethal did too. It's hard to keep track. Like, it's actually pretty turbulent. Anyways, going again, the world's moved on, dude. Hatebreed sold 100,000 records within the first year, I think it was. Killswitch has Alive or Just Breathing. Poison the Well is about to release You Come Before You. The tide is turning. Things are just so different. So to still maintain that same level of hype, or try to maintain that same level of hype that carried from before with Limp Bizkit, and there's all the inner turbulence, you know, with Wes Borland leaving, and then they decide they're going to have contests to find the new guitar player at guitar centers around oh, the country. Dude, I totally forgot about that. Oh, I remember yeah, that for sure. that's right. And then that dude, Mike Smith, ends up being the new guitar player, but then he yeah. gets kicked out, or they part ways, whatever. <laughs> and, like... So it's like, who the hell even played guitar on on that album? And I, you know, I guess some of it was Fred. Like he was, that was his whole thing was he was gonna learn guitar. And again, Roach Coach, incredible job documenting and uh, the best cohesive like documenting of this whole thing I've ever heard. Where they go over the MTV special back when MTV special was like, okay, here's the behind the scenes making of the album as it's going on. And like, I guess part of the whole deal is that the whole, they were hoping Wes would end up coming back, so they kind of baked that, they tried to bake that into the narrative of the show where he was going to come back and it was going to be this triumphant thing, and then it didn't happen. Like, they hated each other, and, like, there was, I'm sure there's more behind-the-secrets or behind-the-scenes details that we just haven't gotten, but, like, it was a tumultuous time for that band, and it showed on the record. There was too many songs. It was too fucking long. And, like, it would just, again, it seems to have gone back to the unfocused kind of days like this is a i think he already recorded one album once and <laughs> like they erased it or and i might have even been twice it just seems again check out the roach course episode it's three hours check long the, because there's so much to out. talk about dude it's so crazy check this out. in may 2002 so i guess this mike smith guy was from snot that's my understanding but i don't even think he played on um on Get Some, I think he was just uh, it some made, guy. In May 2002, dude, Snot's a weird band because they're not even a real band. It's it's not a real band. In May 2002, Durst posted Wes Borland's personal email address online and told fans to ask him to rejoin the group. Borland stated that 75% or more of all the emails pleaded for him not to return yeah, to dude, the band. It's so crazy <laughs> how all that shook out. It, it truly is wild, man. But it's weird because, like, so did he... Re- so did Fred Durst play the guitar on that album? Supposedly because some is Fred Durst, some is Sam Rivers. Like, like it was patchwork. Because you can tell it's not Wes Borland. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there's there's none of that fancy shit. Yeah, going back like, to what we were saying earlier about it's, what... It's more like regular guitars. Yeah, what's Wes, or what's Limp Bizkit without Wes Borland? You found out. You know what I mean? Like, And that's yeah. that's where the t- or turn started happening. And then they strung it along for a while, and they full-on broke up for a few years, man. And truth be told, I have a hard time keeping up with what happened after that. Again, they put out new music and some people were stoked, but the world kind of just moved on. Fred Dish will tell you like exactly that. He's like, hey, man, we were the biggest thing in the world and we had our time. Like, he, you know what I mean? I was like, well, he's got a level head about it. That's uh, kind of cool. But like to think that something that fucking big, you know what I mean? Just kind of, <laughs> yeah. and, and like corn. I think corn went a weird direction and I can't wait to do a corn episode. Cause that's kind of the other half of the story in a lot of ways, at least in the nineties, but like corn even got weird. And I think part of that was like, we don't want to be associated with this fucking monster that we started. You know what I mean? And I think Limp Bizkit was a big part of that to where, 
corn starts becoming this weird industrial goth kind of thing, you know? Like, even the rhythms that kind of made them what they were aren't there anymore. The production's different. Jonathan Davis's aesthetics getting weird. But they never, like, stopped. And people still gave enough of a shit to keep going, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so gnarly. Because yeah. Limp Biscuit really, all they did was, was just keep doing the same thing. That's, so that's where I was going with Significant Other. It was like, once they found that, they just kept going. I always... The big jump from New American Gospel to fucking... Oh, man. I can't believe I'm blanking on that. <laughs> As the palace is Thank burned. you. I wanted to say ruin something, but I was like, no, that's not it. But anyways, New American Gospel to As the Palace is Burned was a huge jump for me. And I was like, oh, dude, they're going to keep evolving and this is going to be cool. And it's like, nope, that's it. They found their style and they're sticking to it. I just didn't oh, realize yeah. that's what it was going to be at the time. Same with Limp Bizkit. If you hear any of what they did after that, it's just kind of versions of the same thing. And... People come back to the man. People leave. Wes Borland comes back, leaves again. Wes Borland comes back, you know. Uh, DJ Lethal, there's some turmoil stuff, comes in and out. They leave. And that was the other thing, too. Again, how much influence Fred Durst had at the time. In addition to doing everything else, he directed a lot of their videos to the point where he became a movie director. Wild. And he was also, (laughs) they gave him, you know, they had such faith in him, even though, like, $3 bill wasn't, a huge success right off the bat. They made him a senior vice president of A&R at Interscope Records. And they had him sign, discover and sign, stained, cold, others that I can't think of right now. Because, <laughs> like, those were the biggest ones. Obviously, stained's yeah. become a huge crossover hit. The other one, obviously, is Taproot. If you've ever heard the, the infamous uh, Taproot voicemail, have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah, so... He was trying to get them, but like, yeah, dude, he had so much sway back then in general to think, you know, how fucking crazy of a time that was. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, they had all those, uh, you know, Ben Stiller. and I didn't know Mark Wahlberg was on. Uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Ben Stiller, Rob Dyrdek. I mean, yeah. all those fucking dudes are just on there just talking out their ass. Yeah, it's crazy. And it was, dude. On, his, it was on the fucking album. And it's just like, dude, like, yeah, people don't realize... Or have forgotten, you know, just how big this dude was. You it's know? Like, it's wild. Like I said, it's charisma, dude. Like, mm-hmm. And here's the other thing, too, man. I mean, on the fucking mic, you know, it's like, okay, fine. He's not the greatest rap in the world, but I'll give you a short list of fucking two, ter- two three, well, two. I'll give you two terrible rappers that have had great fucking careers. And it's because they fucking have something. They have the it factor, right? Dude, Too Short and Snoop Dogg. Terrible. They're terrible. They can't I mean, they're, I mean, fucking Too Short hasn't changed. I mean, he's like the fucking obituary of rappers. I mean, he hasn't changed anything. He's real slow fucking style, whatever. I don't know that I've ever actually heard. I must have had to hear. Snoop fucking stopped fucking writing fucking verses, and it, you, can, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he's just become like Mr. Ultimate Entertainer, yeah, right? It's just yeah. because they have the it factor, dude. Absolutely. Like, you don't actually have to be the best at your fucking thing to do the thing. And... That's how Fred Durst is. But, like, also, man, like, dude, there's certain songs, I mean, you can just hear, like, the swagger in his voice. Mm-hmm. It's weird because he'll be singing a song where, like, the lyrics are talking about, like, I ain't shit. But he yeah. sounds yes. like he thinks. Yes. He sounds like he thinks and believes he is the ultimate shit. That dichotomy like he, was even puzzling to me when I was a fan, you know? Like. It's so, it's so weird. Yeah. You know, because he somehow pulled that off and made it fucking work. And it was incredible that he made that work. Yeah. Which could, like, I obviously, well, I don't know. I don't think that this was a direct translation to the next era, but, like, 
thinking about, you know, the MySpace emo era, you know, the third wave of emo, like a lot of those dudes, oh, I'm so sad, I'm so weak and frail, and then just pulling in all the scene no girls like it's crazy oh yeah dude. dude it's it's crazy because like you think like um for, i remember kid rock fucking saying you know when he had that last ditch effort to really try and get signed you know and i mean i know fucking yeah he's a tool now but but he really had to work really hard to get his record deal man i, I don't know a whole lot of people that have had that kind of drive for anything in their lives but his last ditch effort man he went real fucking huge and i remember fucking seeing an interview with him where he said if you want to fucking be big shit, you got to act like you're big shit. You know, and it's like, and that's what Fred Durst is. Like, you can't, and that's what most any rapper, I guess what a lot of rappers are. Like, it's, if you're going to have lyrics like that, if that's the kind of stuff you're going to talk about, you know, you at least have to fucking act like you're, <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to learn how to act like you're walking like that. I mean, you know, to, to certain degrees, it's like, you know, there is the whole, like, oh, you know, talk, talk, walk the walk. I'm not talking about, like, doing the shit that you're talking about. I'm talking about if you're going to floss on the fucking mic talking about how great you are, just in life, not anything that, oh, you know, what have you done? No, just, just, you're, you're awesome. You have to at least act like you're fucking awesome. You, you can't have your fucking breakdowns and your, you know, your fucking, oh, you know, poor me shit. The, but the thing is, somehow, he does. Mm-hmm. He has the poor me shit. It's funny, as you're and saying like, this. How? Yeah, as you're saying <laughs> you this, know? did you ever watch Hustle and Flow back in the day? Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. His story's a lot closer to that than I thought. You know what I mean? Because, like, that was his whole thing. He was a tattoo artist working in uh, Jacksonville, and he just knew how to... Supposedly, the story is, like, he knew to go into the thank you lists for all the... Yeah. Not just the thank you list, but just like the producer credits and like the A and R and all that. And he knew the contact stuff. He got that demo into the hands of Corn by tattooing them. And even though they say the tattoos turned out horrible, it was just like that whole star of you know that whole story about how they came into prominence within a couple of years of them being a band. How they started out small in Jacksonville, and like they just took over that whole area to the point where when Sugar Ray came through, Sugar Ray opened for them, and they were still a local band. Like. It's interesting. Like, again, like, regardless of everything else, Fred Durst knew how to hustle, man. He fucking was going after it back in the day to the point where he oh, got yeah, to dude. the actual top of the chain. It's crazy. Yeah, fast forwarding X number of years later, it was so interesting to see that he was such an integral part of Interscope for a while and Flip Records. And then they go to Cash Money, right? It's Lil Wayne's label. Yeah. And I don't remember. Well, I guess, yeah, yeah. I don't remember if that was a full album or if that was the EP or whatever, but it was just like, when I heard that at the time, I was like, that's that's a you know, a connection that sort of makes sense. And then I guess they parted ways. I had to even look up what the new album was on. I've never even heard of it. Sure tone. And I was like, is huh. that the same as the one that Amir and all those bands are on? It's no, that's Sharp Tone. It's like, oh, okay, well who else is on this label? And it's like they're one of four, maybe. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I just found out it before this. So I'm I'm curious more than anything else. Because they already came back once, well, you know, after they'd been gone for a few years, they came back and there was a buzz. And it's it's funny, like, because they're, they're pop, they even say their popularity dropped off in America. But if you talk to, like, you know, again, frat dudes, it's like, oh, hell yeah, dude, Nookie, you know what I mean? Like, or like you're, if you're local to San Diego, Pacific Beach crowd, everybody's got their own Pacific Beach, you know what I mean? Where it's the... Right, oh, but even, the, there's a time where even those dudes, you know, were disavowing it they were embarrassed as well and it's just like so weird to me but you know but then 
But the easiest way to the easiest way to figure all that shit out is start playing one of the songs of whatever it is exactly. you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. You know, start playing one of the songs. If 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 especially like if it was a big fucking song, I mean, guaranteed, fucking someone in that crowd's gonna be like, "It's my jam." Exactly. Like, and that and that's you know, so yeah, that's the whole thing. Is a lot of people that never left the public conscious, right? It just didn't translate into people going to the shows or buying the records, so to speak. But it was always there, you know. For if you were there for that time, and again, you're talking about the. Oh yeah, I listened. I listened to that when I was younger. You know, I, I used to hear it at football games, or I used to hear it in bars, or whatever. You know what I mean? But that's America. I remember when they first came back. They like only toured like Middle America. You know what I mean? They're they're going to Nebraska. They're going to Kansas. Like they kind of knew where they were still appreciated. But like I guess in like maybe the UK, but apparently especially Europe, where that shit just you know, nothing really goes away. You know. Like they oh, were yeah. still a huge draw doing a lot of festivals and whatnot. And so like their, their comeback was received by some people very well. And that's where like the nostalgia train really started hitting. So that's the thing is I was the prime age for like entering into Limp Bizkit when their rise started, right? There's kids even younger than me that didn't know they were hated. You know what I mean? It's just like, I, I have talked to people that like were the right age for when Jar Jar Binks was a thing around the same time as Limp Bizkit, right? But I remember oh, watching... Yeah. Kind of funny. Love kind of funny. The guy, Tim, he's 30, maybe? 31 or 32. His younger brother, Cool Greg, was probably seven when um, Jar Jar Binks was a thing, when episode one came out. And he goes on the, one of the shows one morning and goes, Hey, Tim, did you know that Jar Jar Binks was hated? I didn't know that was a thing. And that's like, everybody's got their, everybody's got their thing when they're that age. You know what I mean? My sister loves Polar Express. And she loves Ron Howard's Grinch with Jim Carrey. She didn't know they were hated for years. Like, she didn't know that Polar Express is considered one of the worst examples of Uncanny Valley ever. Because, like, she didn't <laughs> care. She was the age, you know what I mean? Nobody cares when you're that age. For me, right. it was probably, like, the Ewoks, maybe. I know people hated the Ewoks. I was like, why are you kidding? They're little fucking bears with oh, yeah, yeah. bows and arrows. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody's got... I'd be curious what yours was around that time. But you know what I mean? Everybody's got their thing around that time. So, like, there's generations of kids that ever even knew Limp Bizkit was hated. I don't know about you. I don't really see us doing a Blink-182 episode, so this might be, like, the closest thing. I remember growing up... Again, okay, so there was a thing where it was, like, pop punk versus metal, whether that was new metal or, like, traditional metal. There was no distinction back then because new metal wasn't even, like, a full-on thing yet. Or the term didn't exist. But, like, pop punk kids, at least in Ramona... And again, pop punk wasn't a term yet either. That was just punk to them. Same thing, you know what I mean? They were raging right. war on anything that wasn't Blink-182 or Green Day. Anything that was guitar-based that wasn't that. You know what I mean? And so, like, there was this little pop punk war going on. It's just, like you couldn't admit that you liked Blink-182 or Green Day if you were also in the metal circles. Sub, you know, fast forward not that long after, you got dudes like Sam from um, Architects, let alone a day to remember existing as a band, talking about, oh, yeah, dude, I, which we grew up with... Blink-182 and then got into metal. Like, we just didn't, you know, it wasn't a thing for us because we were younger and we didn't give a shit. And so you, that's what some of the appeal with, or, you know, kids that were still around for Limp Bizkit but were, like, younger is, you know? And that's why I don't think it goes out, you know, the appeal lasts after a certain period of time. Like, I do think you had to be there for it. There's kids that were, like, not even born when Blink-182 was a band, you know, doing... um the big albums that love Blink-182, that, that still translate to this day. I don't know that you could say the same about Link, or, uh, Limp Bizkit. 
Freudian slip. So it's interesting to see how that all translates now, because again, fast forward when we're starting to talk about this, it's announced, hey, they got a, they finally got a new album out or coming out. Fred Durst is rocking the dad vibes thing. It's generating all this buzz. They're taking Spirit Box out, like people get, you know, and then that's when the whole thing starts again. Limp Bizkit's always sucked. Limp Bizkit's always been great. And the little warring factions, not a lot in between. Oh yeah, man, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, and so up to when they had to stop their whole momentum with their touring going, dude, there was a lot of buzz and that's what got us talking. Hey, we should probably talk about this because it's interesting to see what it meant to people. There's a whole other discussion about what it meant to people and what it still means today and everything in between. Again, watching that, some horrible shit happens in that Woodstock 99 documentary because horrible shit happened, but it is an inter interesting watch. It's interesting to think about that whole time. It's wild. I, okay, real quick before we move on, because I think we're getting to that point. Do you remember where you were when Woodstock 99 was happening? I mean, I remember watching it. Like, so that's the well, thing, yeah. What I was able to watch. Yeah. But I also remember one of the reasons, like, so that was the one with, like, Primus and uh, Nine Inch Nails. No, that was 94. Oh. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I, I didn't watch Woodstock 99. I remember okay. 94, and I only watched the shit that I wanted to watch. And then when 90, and that's what it was. When 99 came out, I didn't want to see anybody on it. Right. They, uh, so I remember it being hyped up. I was too young for the 94 buzz. I, you know, I've seen documentaries on it such going, oh, cool. Nine Inch Nails is playing in the mud because, or, you know, playing with mud all over them because the, you know, the people were wearing mud in the crowd earlier. Or the Metallica moment with everybody saying die and it echoing throughout the whole yeah, valley. Dude, it was, it was, it was awesome. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And they touch upon a little bit of 94 in the movie. They talk more 69 than they do 99. Nice. But just hearing about how hyped up it was, it was the it was the zeitgeist of what was going on in the late nineties, dude. The latest of the late nineties. Metallica, Rage, Wyclef Jean when he was striking out. Jesus, dude. Um, I just saw that fucking uh Rage Against Machine burn the flag. They played ninety four too. I'm going, <laughs> man, I could have seen him doing that too. No, it was ninety nine, dude. They fucking burned the fucking flag on stage during Killing in the Name. So that and that was the thing. Like again, it's it's <laughs> worth a watch, but yeah, going knowing, yeah, man, it got fucked up. The whole hype of, again, it's the summer that just a month after Significant Other Breaks, you got Corn on the first night. You got Kid Rock when he's still doing Ba with a Ba. Like, it's just the zeitgeist of the time. And they pinpoint shit starting to get pretty gnarly. And they specifically cite Limp Biscuit set towards the end of the night on the Saturday night, right before I think it was Rage and Metallica, as when, like, the party was starting to get pretty dark. Like, it, it's become critical mass, you know what I mean? Like, People were getting hurt amongst other things during their set and they were calling on, the promoters were calling on Fred Durst to try to calm the crowd down. And there are so many mixed messages about what happened. Though the biggest takeaway, and I kind of believe this, Fred Durst couldn't tell what was going on because there was a sea of 200,000 people going fucking nuts and he couldn't tell that there was stuff going on out there. And he was, asking, you know, he's talking, and I guess his quote was, I was trying to bring the energy, you know, bring it positive, trying to tone down the, you know, read his statement. Make up your mind for yourself. But like they talk about that night specifically as being the, okay, now this is the peak. And then this is the beginning of the downfall of new metal as well. I suppose like, right. See, I'm looking, I'm looking at these bands and it's just like at that, at that time, I mean, I didn't want to see any of this stuff. I could see that. I was like on a, yeah. I was on a different thing. If you're 14 year old being in that summer, I mean, there's stuff you want to see. There's stuff you don't, but like, it, it, it's interesting watching this documentary and thinking about, um, what was it? Astro world that happened recently somewhat recently and going man history kind of yeah. repeating you know 
And it's, it's gnarly to watch that documentary because obviously you can do whatever with your narrative based on who's editing or whatever, but that promoter guy comes off like the biggest piece sure. of shit through the archive footage and his interviews, trying to say the whole thing was Fred Durst's fault, that it got out of control and it was basically a small-scale riot. Not a small-scale at all. It was 200,000 people. And there was other similar incidences reported about people overheating or getting trampled or whatever at their shows, man. Like, And uh, oh, I sure. guess... That happens yeah, a lot of shows. And I guess that's what one of the videos is about. What's the, what's the one where they... Oh man, this is weird. Some of the videos were weird where like they get sentenced to death and they drown in uh, milk while they're playing. They, that's yeah. Oh, the, I've only seen like yeah. three of their hey, videos. You're good. If you didn't see them, then you're good now. But yeah, so that's the whole thing is they're, they're on trial for what happened at Woodstock 99. The judge is Matt Pinfield and they're sentenced to death and their, and their death sentences, they drown in milk. Like oddly enough, new metal was happening right around the time where I was getting like too cool for school. I mean, I was just getting to that point where it was like, I was over radio, over MTV, over TV in general, and I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to it to the point where I actually stopped paying attention to it completely for a while. You know, it was that this was kind of where that all yeah. started. Yeah. Um, like, so it's interesting. Obviously, that was a very dark incident, and it sucks. People lost their lives. It's it's awful. Hopefully, things to be learned from them. But again, Astral World, fucking who knows. And then the other big thing they they say was the death knell of, of the new metal era. And again, they say this. It still had a good couple years and it left. You know what I mean? But like, obviously, 9-11, nobody wanted to hear dark stuff. They started pulling stuff off the radio. You know, there's a bigger story to be had there. But that's the long and short of it. So it's almost like, from my perspective as a, you know, getting all these albums and being super into this while it's still happening. In, the, in 2000, when I'm 15 years old, dude, it seems like that was the perfect golden time. If you look at the Ozfest lineup for that summer, you got POD, you have um, Methods of Mayhem when he was still trying to make that a thing, Incubus for what weird tangible relations they have to the new metal movement if they don't perfectly fit in there. But you know what I mean? Like that whole thing's at a fever pitch in 2000, and that's also the year that Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Water comes out, and it was prime, dude. They had an MTV special where the record release party is at the Playboy Mansion back when that also still meant something. Booming, dude. Biggest thing in the world for a minute. Oh, yeah. Get on him, I guess. Like, So, I don't know. Do you have anything else? I never got Not to see really. him live. I probably wouldn't now unless it was a huge bill that Jay just happened to be on. You know, but I mean, they had their importance. I, I never I never saw him live, but I I mean, I never wanted yeah. to. You know, I mean, I never saw Korn live either. And I liked Korn a lot, but I never wanted to see them live either. So, I have a really weird relationship with new Metal because... On the one hand, because I heard it a lot, you know, I mean, it. there was, and I do like some of the stuff from it, but I mean, at the same time, this was probably the first time I was able, like, I was old enough and able to, like, get my own music by this mm -hmm. point, you know, and so, again, like, I mean, I was on this whole other thing while still in the thing. Right. But I think the reason I was still in the thing was because you kind of had to be. Like, I've never, I've literally never turned on MTV to watch TRL. But I bet you I saw TRL at least three times a week because I went to my buddy's house and he always just had it on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was never into Blink, but somebody was playing it. It was know? it was like, well, you know, you don't avoid that. So it's like you you watch it, but you're not really watching it. You're seeing it, but you're not really... There's all this pop culture stuff going on, but you're yeah. not really paying attention, but you are paying enough yeah. attention to know what's going on. It's osmosis. And it's... 
for me, it was a really odd time and probably anybody my age group because because of what else was going on. Just, I mean, even outside of music, it was just a weird time yeah. for a lot of people, you know? And so it was like, and for a lot of things, I mean, movies were getting out there and like all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and a lot of it's because the internet was really getting, I mean, now we got cable modems. You know, now we can get a lot of information mm-hmm. really quick. It was kind of the start of all that. And it was it was kind of like all this stuff happening and, and a lot of collisions oh, yeah. that we didn't know how to handle and stuff. So it was, a, it was just a really weird time, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like you said, it's like now you don't have to pay attention to any of that. Now you don't have to be right. coming from the same source, you know? So I don't know that a band like Limp Bizkit could have had that same exposure and impact today. But they didn't have to. They had it when they did. You know what I mean? It's just a hypothetical, but... I guess on that note, yeah, man, like, um, and this might have happened because you grew up in the hair metal time with hair metal, but for me, it was like, I bought into almost every band at first, if not all of them, when they first came out, you know, like, like that was just such a wave to be a part of. And now, over the years, that's dropped that's off. That's exactly how I was with hair metal. So there metal. you go. And now, I don't, I don't know how many bands you still listen to, but like now it's like, from that movement, I still listen to Seven Dust, I still listen to the first couple slipknot albums that were still considered in that arena and there's probably some other stuff but like other than that you know and like that's just how it is with any movement same with that wave of metalcore like there's some i don't listen to anymore but like i feel like the shedding of bands there was more in that era of new metal than anything else for me at the very least i was given papa roach and crazy town cds to friends that want you know what i mean like you're like okay i've had my time with this like and we can get onto that on another episode i I think we've talked about doing a lincoln park episode at one point and that there's probably more relevance to that discussion in that because that was the turning point for me and probably lots of other people and the movement in general for a number of reasons but yeah Yeah, i'm curious if we gotten that on the other episode yeah um (laughs) i mean i i think we did but i don't know what we got into yeah exactly and if we didn't on that episode perfect we got it on this yeah because again like if we're talking if they weren't one they were maybe two because again lincoln park but like for a while they were one they even surpassed corn at one point like huge for the time huge cultural impact got more people into heavy music down the line Oh yeah, that's another thing that Fred Durst was really good at, man. He he screamed really well. Yeah, most of yeah. Imagine if he just did that. Yeah, I mean, he could I mean, just imagine that dude doing that thing in a hardcore band. He'd be like, I mean, at least on par. Yeah, you know what I mean. If not above par, I mean, yeah, he was sure. he was pretty good at fucking screaming, dude. Like, yeah. So yeah, whether you like him or not, they had an importance for a time. Probably a fundamental building block onto other things for some people. So they had their time and they still are held in the hearts of some folks. And that's, I guess, good enough for me. Don't love them, don't hate them. But an important building block in my musical journey for sure. So now it's time for the list. The list. So how about it? You have any honorable mentions at all? Out of style, first track on the new album. I think one of the reasons I like it is it's almost a spirit box song. There you go. You know, I mean the the main riff, you know, the bow bow now bow wow you know, like it's got that whammy pedal kind of low tune spirit box kind of vibe to it. Which, you know, makes sense. I mean, there's been a lot of bands that have kind of gone to this uh revival new metal you know, um, 
But I mean, it's and it's not, you know, incredibly fucking long. I mean, it's you know, three minutes twenty seconds, and but it's actually a pretty good song. One thing I think that's um, kind of been a thing for me with Fred Durst is like, aside from the whine, the you know, like at the end of certain lines, like he's actually pretty decent singer. You know, he um, I like a lot of the parts where he's. I I prefer the parts where he's singing versus the ones where he's rapping. I mean, you know, but that's that's just a style thing. I mean, he he has a lot of eh, you know like that kind of thing. You know, and it's you know his yeah. voice kind of breaks a little bit. Yeah, I I think that's just a matter of like I mean, I I prefer that to sometimes like those dudes from like Mob Deep or like Mace where they're. They're just kind of and they sound like they're not like into it. Mm-hmm. He definitely sounds like he's into whatever it is he's rapping, whatever it right. is he's singing. But he also when he's it's cool because he has um another honorable mention is uh this could be the one. Like he has a little bit of a monotone, like a cool monotone, you know, effects laden kind of thing that reminds me of a play on because it doesn't sound like it at all. It's a little bit of a higher register, but it's a play on like that old like New Order Pet Shop Boys. Right, yeah. You know, thing going on that um it's a really cool vibe, especially on something like the one where there's not a lot of distortion on the guitars. So it's like you've got that really nice sounding guitar doing the fucking like a lot of delay, you know, and and the reverb you know, so it, it sounds like it's further back and it's it's got this, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, this shimmer-ish. And then again, it's Rivers and Auto holding it down. I mean, it's, it, that voice sounds really cool with that because it's part, that new wave stuff, you know, Pet Shop Boys, New Order, that sort of thing. But it's also part shoegaze, you know, when the, when the shoegaze stuff isn't the big chords, you know, it's 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 like groove gaze almost. Nice. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of like that, it, and it, it's that stuff. Like that's the stuff that I really like. But they have these other songs. I'm trying to think of the the one. It's um, I think it's Drown. Let me see. So there's Drown, and I know there's another song on Results May Vary that has um, Head from Corn that do, he does the guitar on it. And it's just mostly an acoustic song, <laughs> dude. On Gold Cobra, they have a song called My Own Cobain. <laughs> and it just fucking makes me laugh every time I read it. But they have, oh, Goodbye and on the newest album. Like, they have these songs where it's like, I, like, that's, like, that's stuff I would listen to. But at the same time, like, it'll never make my list because it's not, they don't do it enough to where it's like, so when you hear a song like this, like, that's not Limp Biscuit. You know, that isn't what they do. Mm-hmm. And... Again, they experiment a lot, so I mean, to some degree, you could say it is what they do, but it's, they don't do it enough to where it's like it's it's like a thing of theirs, and so that's why some of those songs, you know, they're more subdued. Um, they're more like regular songs. There's not like you know DJ stuff on it, or you know, it's more acoustic and it's more. Um, it's not as up and down rhythmically. It's more of a tame, like chilled out fucking type song. And then another one, dude, is the Faith Fame remix where they mix in Fame by David Bowie. Like it's pretty cool. That's that's what was um, that on again? It's that new old songs. It's literally the only thing I'll listen to off that because it's just a bunch of garbage remixes. Yeah. But it's it's got Everlast on it. 
and they do faith and they they mix in the chorus of fame not not an actual sample or anything it's but um i i i, I like it and uh there was the get your groove on the original mix that you have to go to YouTube to listen to, that was always a good one, but I don't like the Dirt Road remix or whatever the fuck it's called. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's pretty much it because there's not a lot of stuff I like from these guys. So, But, I mean, I did find, you know, five that I'm really fucking cool on, you know, like uh, four of them that I actually really do like. Yeah, I was not too dissimilar to me, it's just like again, I'm not gonna listen to this again anytime soon. But oh so no, I had that's to... the other thing. This is the first time. I mean, aside from okay, my wife does not like metal at all. Uh, so finding things to listen to, you know, when we're in the car together, at times can be difficult. She mentioned something about like you know she's you know a little bit older than you, so she was kind of around this a little bit older during this time. So obviously she's heard Limp Bizkit a lot. She mentioned something like she didn't mind Limp Bizkit. So I listened, I put some on, it was literally just drive out to the casino and back. So it's, you know, we're talking like 40 minutes of Limp Bizkit. And I think I mixed in some corn or something. So it wasn't just Limp Bizkit. But aside from that, I haven't listened to Limp Bizkit in years. <laughs> like a legit, like a long fucking time. Yeah. You know, yeah. cuz like I said, I mean, I just never really liked them much and there's no reason for me to listen to it. So yeah, yeah. after this, I, I I could see me not listening to Limp Biscuit for quite a while again. Yeah. If you if you asked me 15 years ago? <laughs> no, okay, let me rephrase that. If you asked me when I was 15 years old. I was saying it's a little bit longer than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to think about that for a sec. Um but yeah, if you asked me fit when I was 15, I'd have so many songs to choose from, but they would all come out the first 3 <laughs> albums. Because I don't like oh, anything sure. off the ones after that, you know. <laughs> but this was like, shit, man, dude, am I going to have enough to fill up a list? And I, I found enough. I can find things to be like, oh, what about this? So we'll get into that in a sec. Um, so the one that got eked out because I remembered another song was My Way. Like, I, I enjoyed the melodic. That's, again, with the, are, are these still, are these turtles still ninjas? Is this... <laughs> You know what I mean? Maybe well, not to that so, degree. So when you said that, I, I kind of started thinking about it. Limp Bizkit and probably Head P.E. were the only two fucking from that, especially of the rap metal, uh, new metal, alternative metal bands that leaned really into the rap part. Yeah. And you know, something else I completely forgot to bring up was... Well, and Rage Against the Machine, obviously. But it was, yeah. it was like those three. Yeah, but it was, um, was Crazy Town. So, I've, see, I've never heard the whole Crazy Town album. Okay, you're, so you're, I don't know. a you're not missing out. No, that's it. You're not missing out. This we're we're not doing right. a Crazy album or a Crazy Town episode no, anytime soon. We're good. That. Hey, when we get to you guys will know we've been around for a while. When we get to Crazy Town, dude. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, so it was was Limp Bizkit the first because I know Head PE had a, a DJ at one point too, but that was way, 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 way early on, and. Ted P.E.'s actually been around for a decent minute. I just don't know if which one came first, you know? Limp Bizkit came first. Okay, so, and then, obviously, you know, again, Head P.E. and then Slipknot, and it seemed like there were way more. Well, and I know Incubus was around long before they got popular. and they Yeah, had but they a, didn't they get a... the DJ till later. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah, Head yeah, yeah. P.E. always had a DJ from the get-go, uh-huh. um, and he stayed with them for quite a while. Uh, so... DJ Product. 
Primer 55 didn't have a DJ. They just had a DJ that was like on the album. And mm-hmm. I think that was a lot of those bands. If they were going to have DJ stuff, they would kind of just, you know, have a guy. They would send the song to a guy. Yeah. And, you know. and then once that whole wave died out, for the most part, a lot of the dudes would be expanded into just electronics roles, a la Deftones and yeah, Frank yeah, Delgado. It's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Limp Biscuit was probably the first one. I could see that. To have a, a real DJ be like an actual member of the band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back, because uh, obviously Limp Bizkit ended up having full-on hip-hop songs, but like this yes. was really like, if you contrast my way to almost anything off a of $3 bill, y'all, it's just like, is this the same band? But this was them leaning fully commercial, melodic, you know, fun music video. Like, and I think it worked, obviously. Like, it came after the first two initial singles, because I remember Roland and... Um, Whatever the other one was came out the same night. Huge premiere. It was Ben Stiller was in. Oh God, I can almost remember the name of the song. But Ben Stiller was in the Roland music video again. Yes. Big connections. But it was so my way was the third single, and that was like the big big, like that was another one on TRL. And I was like, okay, I remember that melody being fun. So that's why it's that was almost number five, and then one more came in and. Then at the last minute that I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So that got <laughs> eked out. Yeah, and we'll, we'll cross that bridge in a moment. Actually, I think it's the next one. So on that note, what is your number five? Speaking of. You just said it, dude. Roland. Yeah, yeah. There's. So this reminds you. Remember you, you said, uh, you know, they really brought the party. This was bringing the party. I had a really eye-opening thing where I had, I completely forgot this song was on Chocolate Starfish. I really, really? did think this song was on Significant Other. They're, they can blur a little. You're, you're going to mistake these two albums for right, each right, other more than $3 bill. Easy. You know, I'll say this album has a little more substance. Not a lot, but a little more than fucking Significant Other. But I could buy that. But dude, that fucking... My that generation? part where it's like fucking back up, okay. back up. Tell me what you're gonna yeah, do yeah, now. Yeah. Like I mean, it's it's. I cannot. You know they do the headbang challenge, you know on yeah, uh, yeah. on uh, Instagram and TikTok and shit. There's yep. no way I'm not moving to this song, and it's only because that rhythm with him. When I say swagger on the mic, I mean that dude. That shit is like this, you know. Back up, back up. Tell me what you're gonna do. Like he when he hits that do now. Like I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. so perfect. And as much as I, like I was saying when I rag on the fucking, you know, his little, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I know you be loving this shit, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. but I mean, dude, he's dead on. He he's dead on key. It's just the way his voice sounds. Mm-hmm. You know and what I mean? I feel like that came way more into prominence on. The other albums, not right? So, and there's it was, it was, tons of inflection. There's there's lots of dynamics. There's, you know, and it's funny because like the first the first verse is just like you know back the fuck up, shut the fuck. But I mean, this was everything that a lot of what hip hop was. It's just you're just flossing on the mic, dude. Like you're just. Yeah. And for people that don't know what that means, it's like you're just telling people you're the shit. You know, like that's all it is. And to me, it's like, if you're going to tell, sit there, tell people you're the shit, you need to sound like you believe it. And he fucking sounds like he believes it. Whether he does or not, doesn't matter. He, he makes you believe it because he believes it. You know what I mean? And then he hits that second verse 
You know, it's like, you want to make some of the million skit? And it's just like this weird little whisper, kind of a half whisper thing. And it's just like so different than the first verse, you know? And it's just ridiculous. Your, your Fred Durst might be my new favorite thing ever. It's just, there's a little Mike Tyson in there too. Oh, you sure, sure. I oh, mean, man. there's times, dude, where like you listen to him and, and it's little moments where it's like you're you're hearing him. It's like that he. There is times where he's really clever. The problem is you have to sit through a lot of kind of like stupid shit to get to mm-hmm. him being clever. I don't know if it's worth it, you know. Yeah. To, for me to say like you know I would recommend you know listening to Limp Biscuit be, for for these clever little lines because I just you know, don't think it's there. So then the third part, dude, where it's like everything kind of drops out. It's just the drums. Hey, ladies. Hey, fellas. This part reminds me, remember, you remember Girls, Girls, Girls and how Nikki Six, you know, told, Vince Neil wanted to write a song dedicated to like the strip joints, you know, and, and, uh, which is, you know, again, that's a, a clever thing for Motley Crue to do. And, and Nikki said, well, you know, write, write the names down. I'll, 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 you know, work them into the lyrics and stuff. That's kind of this thing. So the lyrics, when he hits this part, it says, hey, ladies, hey, fellas, and the people who don't give a fuck, all the lovers, all the haters, and all the people that call themselves players, hot mamas, pimp daddies, and all the people rolling up in caddies, hey, rockers, hip hoppers, and everybody all around the world. That's That reminds me of that Beach Boys, California Girls, Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls. Not that it has anything to do with girls, but it's like, you're having like a little shout out to all these different types um, of of people, and to a to a larger level, it would be something like a I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that same kind of thing. It's like a little clever thing that just really is just it's clever for clever's sake because it really has nothing to do with anything. It's just kind of a big shout out. Yeah, you know, and he's I, not uh... half bad. And the imagery was right in step with everything that was going on in hip hop at the time, man. Oh yeah, I, it was him directing, but like it wasn't too far off from what you'd see in a hype Williams video around. Right, the same they were time. doing like that was one thing I remember. I remember telling my old band Dinots, like you know, because we were for all intents and purposes like probably like a heavy new metal band. I remember before I saw it, this video, and I think it was this one and uh, Nookie. I remember, so I think at the time, the only video that I had seen of these guys was Faith. And I remember, and, you know, obviously there was other bands that did it. But I remember th- telling my guys, like, man, if we ever do a music video, I want it to have nothing to do with the song, nothing to do with anything. I want fucking half-naked chicks and fucking drugs and cars. You know, and, like, because I was like, this is the shit that's getting played on MTV. This is the shit that's on TRL. It's just, I want it to be a ridiculous, just fun video you know regardless well, was, of what the song was about you know what i mean yeah and then and then i slowly saw, started to see these guys do it and then years later you see the acacia strain doing things like that ghost inside doing things like that and like all these other bands and they to remember bringing that fun to the videos yeah. you know they were the one that brought the fun man like like again up until that point it was all dark with corn and coal chamber and all that and like this was so oh, Rage I don't Against know the Machine, what, super serious. Tool, so, you know, and it's like, okay, they're not hip hop yeah. based, but Tool's alternative metal, very yeah, serious. All chains, like, like it was, it was very serious up to that point, yeah. and um, and like, yeah, man, this was the Limp Bizkit connected with a lot of people probably because they brought the fun. 
in a way that hadn't been done before. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. So, um, is Nookie on your list? No. Okay, good. <laughs> is it on I, yours? The, no, but so that's oh, okay. why I want to get this all out right now, and neither is Roland. So, like, this was a, this was the cultural phenomenon song. Like, like, I don't know where that fucking meme comes from about the, you have, this isn't even my final form or whatever. Right. You know, like, I think it's from Dragon Ball. I'm not a Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball guy, Z, but, I think. Yeah, so, just the idea that, like, even, like, as big as those first two albums got, this is what they were actually working up to. This <laughs> yeah. was the biggest impact, you know what I mean? And cause for the longest time, I thought it was Nookie. Now I'm sitting here looking at numbers. I want to, I'd like to factor I something shit else. When I saw the numbers, the difference yeah, yeah, yeah. between this and Nookie, I was like, no fucking way. Yeah, dude. I had no idea it was that much of a disparity. Like I, yeah. I, it's literally, so something else to maybe factor in is, especially with bands like this is the fucking YouTube numbers. Cause I just checked the videos, you know, cause that was a big component back then. And the fucking numbers for Roland are like double nookie. I didn't think it was going to be that far apart at all, dude. I'm beside myself that like, I, cause I was like, oh dude, with the stick it up your, yeah. And it was, it was a big thing, but like it was, yeah, it, at the, it was the biggest thing at the time. I mean, yeah. 99. I didn't think so, it was that much bigger. Holy shit, dude. You, you think of something like, oh, you know, <laughs> what is it? Fucking, ah, well, you know what? We'll get in that in a corn episode, but I mean, they had a couple songs that you thought, okay, this is big. And then all of a sudden, you know, fucking here comes got the life. Yeah. We didn't know Lee. how much bigger you know, it could it was, get. Yeah. It was just it's insane. Nuts, dude. Like I, I looked at just the streams and I was like, no fucking way. Yeah. Dude. Like, because Nookie was so big, dude. Yeah. It was the next, it was the first single. Yeah. Off of the follow-up album. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. like everybody was waiting for it. And when it dropped, man, it was fucking huge. And then also it's like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. it's, we can get bigger than that. Yeah, dude. He's got backup dancers doing choreography and oh, like yeah, matching break stuff, outfits. Break Stuff smokes it, dude. And Break Stuff was another fun video. They had a ton of cameos, dude. Yeah. Tons yeah, yeah. of cameos. People wanted to be involved with this band in a way that Korn didn't make it happen. Yeah, and maybe maybe sure. Korn didn't try. I don't know, but I don't pe- think they had the same aspirations. You know what I mean? Right. I don't, I don't think they, they may not have wanted to try, but I also think people didn't want to get like just random celebrities didn't want to get involved in the Korn videos because the songs were so much serious and so much darker. Mm-hmm. I can see why they wanted to be involved with this. This was literally hip hop with guitars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so it was like, but then it's like, oh, break stuff, and then it's like, oh wait, <laughs> hold my beer. Here comes Roland. Yeah. For you know, sure. and it's just like, Jesus Christ, yeah. dude. Further to that point, I didn't know how much bigger Break Stuff was than Nookie till this either. You yeah, know what same. I, mean? like, I, I couldn't believe it. So then you also have something. the uh, Urban Assault vehicle. Um, so so the one, my five, is the uh, Air Raid vehicle. There's a remix called Urban Assault Vehicle, and it's got uh, Red Man and Method Man, who I fucking love. As a duo and on their own, Redman's one of my all-time favorite rappers ever. I mean, he's probably my second favorite rapper of all time. You know, and then also DMX on it. And the thing I loved about this one was it was just like the music on it was better. Like, I like the beat to it better than And Together Now. I thought And Together Now was, And Together Now was kind of that DJ Clark Kent style that I just didn't really dig all that much you know no, where you know Roland urban assault had it was more of a fucking swizz beat style and mm-hmm. i don't know who yeah. produced it but i mean it was 
it was that Swiss Beats. Uh, anybody doesn't know that, think of probably DMX, Lose My Mind, right? That, that That's that same kind of sound, those fake horns, you know, all that shit. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it so, is Swiss Beats. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense, dude, because, I mean, fuck, it, it sounds just like it, but... But, I mean, it's not quite there. Even though I love Red Man and Meth Man, at the time I really liked uh, DMX as well. But I just Still think uh, I think that um, this song, you know, it's got the, you know, with the guitar and the bass. And and I think Wes is doing some kind of like, it almost sounds like car horns a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And it gives it this kind of like, not just a street vibe, but like literally playing it on the street vibe. You know what I mean? Like there's cars in the background kind of. And and but I also think this is one of my favorite like distorted like it's got and it's it's one of the better things to me that Wes Borland, you know, has has done cuz he he could have done this song, he didn't even have to hit the distortion at all and it would have been fucking great. Mm-hmm. But he does and he's just back in that baseline and it just works so fucking good. And like I said, it's just mostly the song is is that chorus, man. Like it's just dripping with fucking cockiness and confidence. And having said all that, you're number five. So my number five is one that was a late entry, and it's what eked out my way. Actually, we're going Leech. I believe second to last song on Three Dollar Bill, y'all. Now oh, again, because we didn't have anything to compare it to at the time, I didn't. You know, I didn't think about this till much later. But on that first album, it's a lot of it is this. It's different versions of the same songs, right? As to say, is this the demo version? That's what it says. I don't know because like shows it on Spotify. It's his demo version. Yeah, but I don't see another version of it. So yeah, me neither. But like you know, Ross Robinson albums had that on on uh, the first Slipknot spit it out is the demo version because there's two other versions and they like the demo one more still. So like maybe that was just the this thing is they the one that's like then. yeah 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 it's arguably yeah. the heaviest song on the record it's the most high energy possibly it's like got the most up tempo stuff to it like pollution's pretty up there too but it's two minutes and I always thought the fucking cocking of the gun thing at the end was the coolest thing when I was thirteen and he's screaming leave there's oh, yeah. a breakdown dude. You know what it reminds me of? It uh, reminds me of Blade, 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 Blade. It reminds me of Bleed in the chorus part. Which they were doing both albums around the same time. Yeah, so hand in hand. Um, But this is just like a fucking, you know, really, again, just like. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, that's fucking nice. Yeah, we'll expand upon this further, but I I was talking to you about the Ross Robinson effect where at the time. The first thing put out by these bands, Slipknot and Corn and Limp Bizkit. It's like the biggest thing in the world until the next thing they do from some other producer that's even bigger. Right, that knows how to take them to the next level. Yeah. That that Ross knows how to put you on yeah. in a big way, but I don't think he ha- he, he he may know if he knows how to take you to the next level. I just think it may be a situation where he doesn't want to do that. That and like his shit just made more sense around this time, but like right, and and that's just not his thing. Is like, oh, let's make the he's a big energy guy. Yeah, and this, uh, and so my whole thing is just like this whole record, for as big as it was at the time, has just largely been forgotten comparatively to significant other and chocolate starfish. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, there's like next closest thing, no songs in the top spots for this. You know what I mean? And to think like it was the biggest thing in the world for a moment. Uh, and understandably so again, like you look at this now and it's very, you know, 
primal. The songwriting isn't a hundred percent there. There's not a ton of variety. Like like and it's the most childish of the childish in an aggressive way. It's also the most aggressive, which again was yeah. the most you know the Rob Ro- or Ross Robinson thing, especially with all the other bands he worked with. And I would say this is probably the prime candidate as an example. I guess fuck almost honorable mention to pollution too. Like that was pretty up there, but like this one, just that whole end section right there. It's short. It's to the point, which is not the case with some songs. It's got the creepy last song, just like damn well near all the other Ross Robinson albums of this era. It's, you know, Oh yeah. He knew what he was doing. Um, so yeah, man, bleach the one song you are not likely to hear about from Limp Bizkit anytime soon. Um, so on that note, <laughs> yeah. So on that note, uh, what's your number four? Mellow out. It's sour, dude. It's got that little squirrely intro with the clean guitar that kind of sounds like a bass guitar with the fucking bass taken out of it, which is real. I've always thought was really weird, you know. But I mean, it's it's it was one of the ones where it doesn't quite hit that fucking. There's not the big. Uh, what do you call it? The the big. Like the real heavy part that that wobbles, so it's it's one of the songs I can stand. It's got a vibrato in it, which definitely gives you that that uh that in you know like that sort of thing. I mean, it definitely has that, but it's got the cool like it's got. I mean, textbook rivers and auto, like it's kind of the epitome of what they do in the verses. Rivers and Auto hitting the thing, and you know, West making a couple sounds, and then you get the wicka wicka, like all that shit over top of it with DJ Lethal, and then you get the 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 chorus where it's just like it's like what is it the There's no one to blame mm-hmm. but you. And he's got that little against the blame going in the background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the you know. Whatever happened, you know, some chick fucked this dude up or probably didn't even know about it, but, you know. Like, yeah, whatever. for real, right? Who? What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know any Fred Durst, but but he yeah. definitely knew her. That but guy? Oh, shit. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's the case. But. No, I know. Just say, if you think about where Fred Durst probably was at that time, the, 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 right. the song would have been written, right? Just how, how much he's gone on since. It was a pretty big thing back then, too, is, you know, it's like that loser metal, you know, or like loser yeah. music, you know? Yeah. It, was, it was that kind of thing. Jason Biggs in that movie literally called Loser. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Radiohead Creep, that like that sort of thing. Like, yep. the, and, and he brings that into this, uh, well, he brings it into a lot of songs, but he brings it into this one as well, yeah. you know? And I talk about you never forget your first. That was the first for me. And even though I didn't grab onto it right away, I did eventually. And the videos, from what I recall, is whatever. There's a dude mowing a lawn outside or something. I used to watch (laughs) clips of this on fucking shitty late 90s quick time because that's all we could get. And it was only like four seconds. And I was, and it was that shitty dial-up internet. It was the worst, dude. And now you can watch this a million times if you want. The whole thing... In all of its glorious, maybe 320 fucking, you know, resolution on YouTube, all you want. <laughs> um, but again, you know, this was my introduction and I grew to appreciate it later on. And like, I think it's possible to say this might be one of the, if not these songs with the most hip hop influence on the album because there was room for it. You know what I mean? You're not going a million miles an hour. You're not right, turning everything right. up. Really a lot of time to shine for DJ Lethal. Yeah, and having that too, that little like that yeah. shit that fucking Wes Borland's like tapping out on his fucking net on his uh, fretboard, you know, like 
it's it's one of the it's one of those things he does that I can stand, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's probably why it's as high as it is. Also, you know, and then like the layering at the end on that last like I think choruses or double chorus. I mean, it's there's just like so many different layers of Fred Durst going on, different harmonies, and you know, plus you know, I mean, lethals all over. Like I said, I mean, at times they get really fo- unfocused, but um, for this, it's kind of nice because it reminds me of that Smashing Pumpkins element of like we're not gonna change the tempo. We're not going to change anything other than we're just going to add more stuff and make it more chaotic sounding and bring it to a head. And then it kind of dies out into that West Borland, you know, tapping thing that he does. And it, it just works really well. And it is one of the things where he's, he's singing that chorus. And I mean, it's just, it sounds really good, but I think some of his, a lot of the stuff that kind of gets me is uh, one thing I've always, one thing I've liked about Fred Durst is that he almost has a grunge element to his vocals. Yeah, he did come from um like the Urbana. best singer in the world. Like Eddie Vedder. Like Eddie Vedder's thing isn't that he's like super hyper talented, right? It's his thing is he sings from the heart, right? And 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 it shows he's he struggles to hit notes, but he's still there. Yeah. Versus someone like James Labrie who just nails everything and it just sounds eh. Yeah. And and Fred Durst has a lot of that where you know, he's definitely conveying some type of emotion and I mean, whether you like it or not is all up to you, but yeah, yeah. there's times I don't like it either. And, and so when you hit something like for this, like when you hit something like this, where it's like, it's just, it's there for me, it's like, all right, cool. You know, like it's, it ranks high, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Cause like he brings a lot of that, but like I said, like with your song, you're, you're number five. Like, I mean, he could fucking sing in a hardcore band. Yeah. Like easily. Yep. You know what I mean? So he's also got that. And then he's also got the rap. I mean, really, when you get down to it, I mean, the dude's pretty talented in the sense that he brings a lot of variety that probably, you know, that, you know, Jonathan Davis doesn't bring. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we know Davis can do the fucking, ooh, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> but, but that's not really rapping. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like when he does his rap bits on like fucking what what was it the the fucking diss song or whatever. Yeah, he's yeah. not really doing the family. He's not really Yeah, he's not really doing it or he's not very good at it. Yeah. You know, and and his his screams, you know, he's another guy that that screams really well and and he does it and but I I think Fred Durst is just as good as a screamer. Yeah, absolutely. Low key, not saved for a corn episode. I think I prefer Fred Durst singing cuz I Hey, spoiler for corn! I fucking hate Jonathan Davis's voice. So fair. <laughs> I'm not too far off, I guess. Um, <laughs> so three things. Anyway, yeah, yeah. A. Josh Travis just started playing Black by Seven Dust, and I got really excited. Two. I've actually nice. been on a huge Dream Theater, not just Dream Theater, uh, Liquid Tension experiment kick. Oh yeah, so we might Liquid need Tension's to, great. Yeah, we might need to get to it's that soon. Dream Theater with no vocals. Is yeah, like right exactly. Up my yeah, I might, I might have to find this one uh, meme and send it to it's you. It's like, oh, you kicked out the you you got rid of the the worst part of your. Oh yeah, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, fucking yeah. all in. I can't remember what three is. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> maybe later. Uh, so speaking of numbers, though, my number four. Is Hot Dog, which I forgot was the name of the fucking song until today. Oh my God. I just heard this song (laughs) for the first time at the gym like, shit, I haven't even worked out in three years. So at least three years ago. I had no idea this song even existed. Really? I'm pretty sure I never heard this. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 
So, dude, the amount of fucks in this song. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this gym, and it's a hardcore, like, powerlifting gym. But in the daytime, like, especially in the morning, you know, a lot of those guys are at work. So it's it's a couple of personal trainers that would bring people in. And this girl came in. She's got, like, this little class or whatever. And then, so she she does a class. And then after that, she's got, like, two clients. And one of them brings their, like, their kid in. And the kid's just sitting in the corner playing, like, on these wrestling mats. And it's just like... <laughs> fuck's just a word and it's all fucked up like i mean it's like yeah it's just fuck like every other word and i'm just sitting there like because i think i had it on like some uh some radio on spotify something radio like it might have been like 90s radio or something 2000s radio mm -hmm. and it came on and i was like i mean i i didn't have to see you know, and then, you know the the nine inch nails course i didn't have to say like who is this? Yeah, Obviously, yeah. <laughs> I know who it is. But I mean, yeah. it just blew me away because I was like, wait a minute. Like, mm -hmm. I had no, I guarantee you, I, I'm telling you right now, you were only fucking what, 15, yeah. 16 when yep. this song came yep. out? Yep. Yep. I was fucking what, like, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. fucking 18 and 92, do the math. Mm -hmm. This would have been my favorite fuck, like one yeah. of my favorite songs. That's what I'm saying, if this, dude. If this came out when I was 16 years old, yeah. I would have been all over this this was song. like perfection to me dude he's saying fuck yes. all the time it's oh, you know yeah. the, the thing about like you sound like someone's little brother that just knew how or found out how to swear you know what i mean like that's this song it's ridiculous like, oh, like yeah. and i was like oh dude because like the but some of it's really clever some of it is yeah but just like, like the way he works works in the the lines i mean some of it's really clever because you, you gotta have it go somewhere yeah and he does you and know? just the the continued use of profanity in in this era of music Limp Biscuit possibly being the one. I'm sure there's others that tried to break the mold, but you know what I mean? Like, was like the coolest thing in the world to me. And, you know, back when a parental advisory sticker was a badge of honor, you know, and it's like, it makes total sense why. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know where I'm going. It makes sense that, like, oh, yeah. Not hate breed, but like the, the way the bands after, like, Kill Switch and. And Shadows Fall didn't have any swearing and were about, inter, you know, looking inward and introspection and stuff. And it's just like, it was like the perfect opposite reaction. Like, to because like. Okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to read you some lyrics. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Dramatic reading. Yep. Of Hot Dog by Limp Bizkit. It's a fucked up world, a fucked up place. Everybody's judged by their fucked up face. Fucked up dreams, fucked up life, a fucked up kid with a fucked up knife. Fucked up moms and fucked up dads, a fucked up cop with a fucked up badge. Fucked up job with a fucked up pay, and a fucked up boss is, fuck, is a fucked up day. Fucked up press and fucked up lies, while lethal's in the back with the fucked up eyes. Okay, I mean, dude, it's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. In all actuality, mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's a, really what he's saying. If you're looking at that, if you just kind of take all the fucks out, it's actually a really serious thing he's saying there. Aside from like the last line, right? Yeah. Oh, you didn't the even get to my was, favorite line, right? The last line is where I thought like, okay, that's where the clever part comes in because he's you know referring to DJ Lethal being fucking stoned as fuck. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll do another reading. Is it is your favorite the uh, second verse or the third? It's been a minute since I've heard, so you'd have to... Okay, so, ain't it a shame that you can't say fuck? Fuck's just a word and it's all fucked up. Like a fucked up punk with a fucked up mouth, a nine-inch nail get knocked the fuck out. I... Was that a dig at Trent? Oh, yeah, no, know. there's it's a whole thing be. about how okay. nine-inch... And apparently he had to get... Um, 
clearance to even do the you want to fuck me like an animal thing. Like oh, well, just, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think. I just yeah. totally spaced there, Yeah, there was the this whole back and forth. Like, in the Nine Inch Nails video for Starfuckers Incorporated, like, he's one of the things he's taken out is a picture of Fred Durst. Like, there was a big... Oh, okay, Like, we can okay. do a whole thing on Fred Durst feuds between him oh, and him sure? later on. Fucking Marilyn Manson. Pretty much anybody. Think, uh, Christina Aguilera, uh, Britney Spears. Jason from Primer 55. Yeah. Corey Taylor. Shaggy 2 Dope. Yeah, fucked up AIDS from a from fucked up sex, fake ass titties on a fucked up chest. There it is. We're all fucked up. So what you want to do with fucked up me and fucked up you? Uh, 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 okay, uh, uh. so now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the chorus real quick. You want to fuck me like an animal? You like to burn me on the inside. So it's a little bit different than trends. Yeah, but yeah. but he's you still like to, to get think that apparently. I am. You like to think that I am a perfect drug. Another Nine Inch Nails ref. Yep. Just know that nothing you do will bring you closer to me. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So, yeah. It's like it's like those it's like when you when you hear those things where it's like, you know, people that are intelligent or have better vocabularies don't need to say fuck every other word. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah, check this out. Yeah. Because he's making a point and he's saying something, he's just throwing fuck every other word in there and yep. it makes it sound ridiculous. So I will say ninety percent of this song no longer appeals to me as a listener. <laughs> So why is it in my top? It's exactly what you were saying earlier, where it's the it's the clean bits in the verses. Yeah, the music's really cool. That's like, literally it's, all it's really it is. Cool. Not even the heavy parts. Just those yeah. clean verses with the little guitar whittlies and they got the grooves going on with the rhythms. Like that's literally all it is. And they and the, I, I do think it's I thought it was clever as a kid how he uh references Nookie in the song as well. So <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So that's literally it. It's it's literally for that reason and that reason only. Oh, dude, it's Again. fucking great, man. I was wondering if that was going to be like, because I knew it wasn't going to make my list, mm-hmm. but like I was really curious if you were going to bring that one up just because I knew how old you were at the time. I knew how I would react if I was that age to a song like that. I mean, fuck, I, grew, I, mean, I was listening to Two Live Crew when it was I was like 11 years old, and, and that was... That was the world, dude. It was just like, oh my oh, god! Oh, I was I mean, four, maybe, when I first heard that, and that was like the coolest <laughs> thing in the world to me too. I can't believe my dad didn't turn that off right away. But he must have figured, oh, he doesn't know what that means, and he was right. But little does he realize, I hear that years later, and I go, oh, that's that song. Oh, that's what he's talking about. So that's really all there is to that song. <laughs> it's just product of the time. On that note, what's your number three? I, I'm pretty sure that's probably the most anybody's talked about this song. Probably. Counterfeit, the buildup. I think if they ever had a song that reminded people of Korn, this is probably it. For sure. Um, this was the first song of theirs I ever heard on the album. Like, So I heard Faith on like from the music video. The first album I listened to on the album was Counterfeit. And that's because my buddy bought it and he said, you got to check this song out. Um, I didn't actually just throw the album in and listen to it from the get-go. But that with the little, the kind of the, I mean, there's a lot of harmonics uh, going on in the song because he also has a like that sort of thing on the, on the harmonics on the, on the guitar. So there's, those are artificial harmonics. And then the other ones are natural harmonics. I can't remember the names of all of them right now. I used to know all that fucking shit, but you're a counterfeit. Like, I mean, he's screaming, but the thing that, that really got me was that that fucking Rivers is doing. And there's um, the, um, 
the organ, you know, from Lethal. And then, you know, you got Wes. And it's really weird. I can't think of the last time I heard this band with headphones on. I didn't realize there was so much stuff with Wes in one ear and not the other, and vice versa. It's not the same every time. But this one, you got Wes in one ear, just kind of doing this, um, like with this uh, weird phased guitar that's not really going with anything. So you got the organ in the left ear and the Wes Borland in the right ear, bass right down the middle. And it's just really reminds me of that that same thing that Korn used to do with the two guitars. And, you know, you got the on one end, and then you got the on the other ear, you know, so it was, and Korn did a lot of that stuff with the interplay between, with the panned guitars, and this is literally a fucking panned guitar and a panned organ. It, like, no one likes fake people, you know, I mean, and, we, and people talk about it a lot, it's still, to this day, I mean, it's still a big thing, you know, and it'll always be a big thing, you know, someone being fake to you, someone being counterfeit. You know, someone ripping you off, someone betraying you somehow. And and it's always going to be a big thing. It's always been a big thing. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's that too short thing. Like, he's always rapping, you know, like like the Eminem skit, you know, bitches, blunts, and, and boobs, or whatever the fuck it is, the the skit, you know, on, it, on the Eminem album. But that's what too short does, is he always kind of raps about the same thing. And it's it's generally something that, you know, he raps a lot about sex. And and everybody likes that. So it's like if you can hit a thing like break stuff, you know, give me something to break. Counter, you're a counterfeit, fake. You know, it, I mean, dude, you hit stuff like that, and it'll always be popular because it's so fucking relatable. Now, I will say this: when I first heard this song, the thing that kind of like really got me, like, kept me from really loving it at the time, was his vocals. <laughs> You know, that little, alone in your misery, yeah, like that yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah. come on. But I mean, again, he's into it. That's just his style, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a vocals make or break or voice sound make or break. Like I said, I mean, I do listen to Dream Theater with the vocals, not just Liquid Tension. So it's like, okay, I just got to be in a mood, whatever. And it's the same here. And I, you know, like whatever. But I mean, it's a good jam. And I just really remember that first time I heard it, you know, and hearing that that difference with the that verse and then going into that chorus. It was really cool because it was more like Rage Against the Machine than Korn. But, I mean, I think the whole thing together was like a Korn song, kind mm -hmm. of. Yeah, no, for sure. Number three for you. Yeah. Unless you have something you want to say on well, Counterfeit. Well, I'm going to say something about Counterfeit later. I'll say okay, that. Okay, cool. Yep, 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 yep. So, in the meantime... This was an interesting one, but just something that I just thought about. It's like, oh, yeah, this was neat back in the day. It was um, track seven off of his or significant other, Nobody Like You. Now, I remember, again. This almost made my list. There you go. So I remember, and it's a little connection going back to what we were talking about earlier with Scott Lyland, right? So I remember when the lead up to this was happening and there was the big MTV news special report. Ah, oh, dude, we got Scott Weiland. We got Jonathan Davis from Corn in here. Made all the sense in the world at the time. Again, that, that initial Corn Limp Bizkit connection. There was, I remember there even being reports about like Eminem was going to do a song and there was footage of him in the studio doing it and it just got left out the album for whatever reason. I thought Serge Tankian might have had a song on there. I, maybe that was something else. Maybe, I don't know, but like, they were hyping the hell out of this album, and I remember them especially highlighting this particular collaboration. Jonathan Davis and Scott Weiland on the same song. 
the fucking... Oh, that chorus, dude. What is it? I got a reason that I want you to yep, know. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yep. that, I mean, you can tell. Like, I mean, this fucking Stone Temple pilot, I got a reason and I want you to know. Yeah. Like that little harmony part that he does. Is, and this isn't the, this is the first time they do stuff with Scott Weiland. They actually do something with him in 2003 as well. Which I didn't know. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Davis in the, is he just doing the whispers? There's or is he any... doing the, He's doing the little bah thing in the background too. Like there's other stuff. Like <laughs> okay. there's there's little flourishes. That's what you know, having a song with three different singers with their own distinct voices, right? Oh no, he's he's got lines. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm listening like, to it right now. He's definitely got yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they this one sound, almost made it for me, dude. Yeah, it's catchy, the whole thing. I will say, dude, even the little heavy parts with the harmonics and the little you know it's what I like mean? it's it's the the riff is like counterfeit a little bit. Yeah. With, in that regard with the harmonic yep. parts and even and what they did with the verses again we t- you know again roach coach talks a lot about the loud quiet dynamic in in this era of new metal that you know was a a big common factor right and this is a great example of it again even though the most harsh bits on this aren't that harsh on this whole album right especially compared to the last one but like again the dynamic at work here does work a lot especially in those really much more quieter moments in the verses well, and it's one of the few songs they have that has a normal style riff. The cha chaka cha chaka cha chaka cha chaka Like it's a normal song for a second. Yeah, and that's where Wyland's singing over top of it. For mm-hmm. anybody that doesn't know the song, that's the chorus. This is like. I mean, obviously, it became like a staple of what they do. But I mean, then you drop out into that fucking bass-driven, real subdued guitar fucking verses, and it's just like, God, like it's it's really good, man. When they caught fire, man, they really caught it, and this was them firing. Like when they come out of that fucking middle piece, and fucking autos just ripping on the drums, just filling like crazy. And then they hit the fucking like that riff, you know, and then they're all going. Again, it's that uh, it's that smashing pumpkins chaos because now you have three fucking singers doing their thing. Yeah, you've a- you've amped up the fucking riff part, you've amped up the drum part. It's just it's just uh, yeah, it's a really cool fucking jam. Uh, you know, honestly, dude, like I I, I really did forget that fucking Scott Weiland was on the fucking song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, you know, he was I, on the next album too. I just don't know what it is he did. Oh, he was on Hot uh, Chocolate Starfish. I get apparently. I don't know really? what the fucking song was. Like, it's just like, it's interesting because you talk about this again, all of them. Like there's, there's some spots that are forgettable on those first three albums, even as big as the career. Oh yeah. They were, you know what I mean? Some I had to go back to, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this perfectly. Like it was 20 some odd years ago. And then others I'm like, you know, cause I, <laughs> some of them I would just flat out skip. I was really hefty with that skip button, you know, back in the day. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah, oh, there was there was a lot of stuff that when I was going back listening for the show and I was listening to Significant Other, I was like, holy shit, like I don't remember any of this. And yeah. I bet you it's because I was skipping a lot of it and I, you know, and then and I didn't listen to it like enough, you know, to because I I didn't keep it in my car long enough because I chucked it out the fucking window. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, like this is one of the times they got it right and still holds up pretty well. So, so fucking Scott Wyland is on the song called Hold On. And I'm trying to think of which one that even is. 
I tell you what, dude, in hindsight, again, this was the 90s. This was the peak of consumerism so, and music purchasing. So, like, the record companies, I'm sure, were just like, do everything. But, like, if you trim some of these songs down off of the... Uh, off of the albums, dude. So this says like, this says Boiler thing. ends at 546, where a hidden track begins at 548. Okay, so the hidden track's kind of just nothing. It's just like they did that a lot. Fred talked a little bit. There's a little bit of a beat in the background, so it's not really anything. But I mean, it doesn't really show that um, this "Hold On" song is like a what do you call it, like a bonus track or anything. Like, yeah, I mean. That wasn't regularly listed back then. It was the right. oh, you gotta you gotta get all the way, which is funny. Uh, corn episode, corn episode, dude. All right, I gotta read you this real quick. This is fucking kill me. Cool. <laughs> On the Wikipedia, the first part of the title is a scatological reference to the appearance of the human anus that is linked. My people, pretty great. However. Hot dog flavored waters is an inside joke started by Wes Borland at a truck stop while the band was on tour, where Borland mm-hmm. saw bottles of Crystal Geyser flavored water and made a joke about having meat or hot dog flavors. And that's why I said I wa- I'm much more down with being the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> I didn't know that's what it meant till today. So, I mean, I I knew about the chocolate starfish for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's that's explanatory. <laughs> That, that's all gravy right But there. I also thought the hot dog flavored water just meant literally the fucking water that's left in a package of hot dogs. Oh, that's one way to think about it's it. I gross. I thought it was something fucking The idea of drinking that too. just almost makes me puke right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, get that so, out of your head, Jay. Whew. Yep, 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 yep. Speaking of getting things out of your head, what's your number two? So this is kind of a weird one. It's the song got stuck in my head after listening to it on some sort of... Uh, it was something WWE, dude. I don't know if, cause I, I mean, I still do now that I got Peacock, <sighs> but okay. I don't know if it was on. Like, I used to watch all these fucking documentaries, you know, the where they kind of span the whole guy's career or whatever, and they have matches at the end. But I believe it was either a. I don't think it was in the documentary. I think what it was was like a buildup. You know those hype pieces that the WWE used to have. Before mm-hmm. like WrestleMania, before the matches and whatnot, and they kind of show you all the stuff. Like those were like my favorite shit because it's kind of like all of the action parts just mixed into one. It's like a little mini trailer, right? It had this song on it. I've never gotten it out of my head, and I've always liked it fucking ever since. And I think it's the only way I've heard the song because by this time I was over radio, so I may have heard it on MTV if someone was watching it, but I definitely never heard it on the radio. But it's my way. You think you're special, you do. Like, I mean, but it's the music part, man. The music is, I just fucking, the same way I love Isis's drummer, the same way I love Abe and Danny, that pocket drumming, man, and just the way the snare sounds. But I do like the just once, da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, I like that melody line. And then when the chorus kicks in, like, it's, you know, I mean, there's the whole, yeah, (laughs) You know what I mean? There's that thing. Oh, yeah. When he got real, that's one of the downsides for me is when he started getting into it. This time yeah. I'm going to let it all come out. This time I'm going to stand up and shout. That's the part where I'm going to do things my way. It's my way. Like he's, it, it, I could see where people would say it's whiny, but that my, is that my way. He's hitting the note, he man. Is, like yeah. he's dead ass, like in key. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of sometimes I do it too. Like when you get, when you start really getting into a conversation, you're getting worked up, you're getting hyped, you're, or you're, you sometimes you're getting mad or whatever, 
and you you hit that little hit, you know, <laughs> like that. So yeah, yeah. Your voice kicks up an octave, or you know, it kicks up a you know like a couple different notes. It's it's that sort of thing, and you know, sometimes I'm in the mood for it, and other times I'm not. But I, this is probably out of my whole list. I would say this is the third. This is the second of the three of these guys' songs. So obviously our list is five. There's three of these songs that I fuck like I genuinely love these songs. They're not like oh I had to pick a top five for fucking lip biscuits. Like oh well these are some I can stand. No, there's three of them I fucking love, and this is one of them. Rowan was the other. The other was my number one. I, I that's why I tried to stay out of it when you were you know, when you mentioned it was almost your five. Nice. You know, but I also like the whole fucking my way thing. Like I mean every I mean I think most people do. Very rarely does someone really do it their way, you know, because really society's kind of set up to not do it your way, you know, so everybody likes the idea of doing it my way, including Frank Sinatra. But, and I, that's the other thing too, man. I mean, I think when I first saw the track listing, I thought, holy shit, they covered a Frank Sinatra song. What does that sound like? And I never listened to it, you know, like I said, I think the first time I heard it was this WWE thing. And every time I hear it since, I, I think of that W, whatever WWE thing I saw, man, like it was very emotionally charged as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, I do believe it was a storyline that I had been watching for quite a while. So I was like fully invested in this storyline. And every once in a while, you know, you get those music, those songs, you know, where it's not the lyrics, but like the notes are tugging a little on the heartstrings, getting you going a little bit. This song will do that to me. But like at the same time, man, I mean, it might be a little bit of the lyrics because I do have a chip on my shoulder like a lot of people. And I have been told several times from the way I play my guitar to the way I learned how to play guitar to the way I learned how to play music to the, to the music I listened to to the way I was, you know, with my son's mom, you know, our relationship to the way I did school, the way I did, I mean, I've been told you're doing it the wrong way my whole fucking life to the point where I thought like, you know, it'd be kind of cool on my tombstone. I thought like it would be kind of cool. I, th- I, th- I think I actually have it on my Facebook page. I haven't been on there in a long time jason smith doing it the hard way since 1974 because i don't care about your way i'm doing it my way you know and that may be the hard way fine whatever fuck it it's my way you know and it's not necessarily my way my way or the highway like i'm not necessarily like that but i mean you know actually i mean the older i get it is kind of like that and more the older people get they generally get that way it's my way or the highway because by the time you're older you're kind of just sick of everybody's shit you know, and you have a certain way you want to do things. You have a certain way you do. You've been doing things, and you're not going to break that for anybody. And I mean, I again, it's it's one of those relatable songs. I mean, they do have a lot of relatable shit. And then they, you know, like I said, they, I mean, they have their frat boy fucking, and not not their frat boy songs. They have their frat boy saying songs. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got definitely got plenty of those lyrics. But I mean, like I said, there are some fucking gems. I think I said it in the new metal episode too. Like new metal on the whole may not be the best genre, but there are gems in there yeah, that are worth checking out, man. Having said that, number two for you, good sir. So really quick before we move on, this has been killing me the whole time. Where I heard that Faith remix you were talking about, because oh, I yeah, knew yeah. it, but I'd never listened to that remix album, and I'm like, why the fuck? Do I know that? It's not on any of the regular albums. As soon as you said WWE, it snapped with me. <laughs> this WCW album, back when, back before WCW meant Women Crush Wednesday. Was, it was this album. Oh, yeah. WCW Mayhem the Music. And that was on there, alongside a song by ICP, a Megadeth remix, live Seek and Destroy by Metallica. 
the original version of Here Comes the Pain by Slayer, dude. That's still oh, one of shit. my favorite. Yeah, I like that so much better than the one that's on God or uh, God Hates Us All. They added stuff to it that I oh, yeah, didn't yeah. care for as much. But yeah, dude, that's the original version. Shit, I kind of want to listen to that now, but I'm pretty sure it's not on streaming. Or you could just YouTube it, whatever. Anyways, back to the task at hand. My number two. So this is an interesting pick. This is Trust off of his significant other. Going back uh, again oh, to the... Shit. to the yeah, uh, Don't you mean... Don't you mean trust? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Family Values home video back in the day. Backstabbers! This song and one other that's also eventually was on Significant Other aren't on $3 Bill, y'all. And so I'm sitting there going, what the hell song is this, dude? And that was how they came out on stage during Family Values. And that's the thing that always got me was that riff, dude. Like, the whole time... Up until the bridge, maybe. It's a pretty high-energy song, dude. Like, they keep it going I don't know good. if you noticed that. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that shit in the background, yeah. that's fucking lethal. That's Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that House of Pain fucking... It's a, it's actually a horn, but that sound on uh, Jump Around. Mm-hmm. The... Like that sort of thing. Yep. Except he's probably doing... He's probably using the guitar as a sample. I don't think. See, this is one. This is one. I'm like, this does not sound familiar at all. Really? Again, it might just be that attachment from the uh, the Family Values VHS. I didn't even have a DVD player at the time. It was VHS. Okay. So this. Yeah. A little bit. That sounds familiar. But this is probably a skipper for me. And that's probably why it's not familiar. I probably skipped it a bunch of times. Fair. I just remember hearing this finally, and I was like, this is the song. This is the, the fucking song from, from Family Values, man. Like, holy <laughs> shit. I was freaked out. And then, yeah, they played another, there was another song that was probably reworked way later into what it became on Significant Other. You know, these are earlier versions of the song. I don't even think they played the whole What Became Trust on Family Values. I think that was also still a WIP, you know what I mean? Like they were still probably fleshing that out. They might've only played the beginning, but yeah, dude, especially cause it comes after a lot of the more low energy numbers, the whole album's sequence really interesting. And you got Terry, it's Terry date on this and the other one. Right. So like, yeah, you know, the dudes it's in good hands. It's just like what the material you have to work with probably is. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I feel like Terry dates, one of those dudes where it's like, I think he's one of, well, I, so like I said, Ross Robinson is the guy you want kind of like to put you on because he's such an energy guy. Terry Date is one of those guys that's going to get you to the next level. Yeah. He's the next level guy. He was for Soundgarden. He was for like Deftones. I, I think Pantera too, right? Yep. All the albums except Reinventing the Steel. And even then he went back years later and remixed Yo, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just... He, I, I want to call him something like a fixer where he like fixes your sound to accommodate success. Yeah. But it's the fixer's a bad term for No, that. for sure, it's, yeah. And, and one implying thing, that your sound's fucked, and yeah. it's not, you know. And one thing about Terry Date, man, is like some producers just have a sound like a Ross Robinson that kind of, no yeah. matter who is playing, like you, there's always a little bit in there. Terry Date just ha- like makes each band the best versions of themselves. Those are my favorite kind of producers, the ones that like, you can't Man, even we need tell to redo that producer episode because I have no idea where it is. 
I, I have it probably. Okay, because I mean, I must have fucking deleted it on accident when I transferred everything from the Mac to the PC yeah, or something. Yeah, I could I fish it out. It. I just wonder if my answers would still be the same, dude. Like, right. we might have to redo changed. that one. Yeah, no worries. But like, yeah, dude, Terry Date makes sure each band has their own identity. Like, sometimes, like, that's why I had to be like, oh, Terry Date did this. I thought Brendan O'Brien had more of an impact on one or not both of the albums than he did, but apparently he was just there for some of it. Think about like the days when the big producers were working with each other too. You know what I mean? Again, this is top of the top of the top at the time. Further to that point, how big, you know, again, the whole thing about chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water still being the fastest selling rock record, man. There was only one really big wave after that. Like, like metalcore obviously had a big wave after that, but it wasn't as big as new metal. Nowhere near as close. You had the garage rock thing or whatever you want to call that with the fucking, all the the bands. I can't even think of what their names are right now. But, you know, the Strokes, stuff like that. Oh, okay. I was like, where are you going with that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the last biggest rock movement was new metal. Like, even third wave MySpace emo, as big as it got, none of those bands ever got close to fucking Linkin Park. Again, you know what I mean? None of the, you know what I mean? This was, oh, this yeah. was it. But this is also like the last one that was before file sharing. That's also true. You know, once once file sharing came around and then obviously led to streaming, I mean, really what the problem with it was, was now all of a sudden we had access to too much. True. So now I, I always I always likened it to back in the day when I was when I was a kid and I, I um I mean, I had a huge tape collection for, like, where I lived. And, I mean, even at the time of having 25-plus tapes, you know, I mean, it got much larger than that. But, I mean, even by the time I was at 25 to 30 tapes, I was well into, you know, I have the biggest tape collection, you know, of kids my age, you know, or close within my age age range. So, you know, it's like, well, I guess I'm listening to Judas Priest today because I don't want to listen to Iron Maiden. You know, for I, sure, it's for so... Sure. You listen to stuff so much that, like, you really what the first thing is you find out what you really love and what you don't. But the other big thing is like you you hear all the subtle nuances. You hear it so much that it becomes bigger than the songs. It becomes bigger than those performers. It becomes part of you. And when you don't have to listen to the same twenty to thirty to even fifty to one hundred things all the time, and you literally have everything at your fingertips, do you even listen to something long enough to for it to become a favorite? Chances are no. Yeah, for sure. And that's just for one person. Now put that on everybody. And it would be really hard for somebody, especially in the metal realm, which is already a smaller chunk of people, to get as big as some of these bands that got big before Napster. Mm-hmm. Or at least right at the same time. Like yeah. Slipknot was kind of like the last of that thing. Slipknot Linkin Park. Yeah, that's what kind of puts... Uh, it's, it's funny talking about my whole Ross Robinson thing. Like, I'm pretty sure the first Slipknot album is still the best-selling. But the the songs off Volume 3 and uh, All Hope is Gone are still bigger songs overall, if I'm not mistaken. But again, the metrics change because things changed over time. You know, it, just in those five years, or five to six or seven or whatever years. But yeah. like also, I think the new metal thing had a little more crossover appeal than, you know, stuff like Fallout Boy and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. Not by much. Maybe there's some... Would you be interested... I think we've talked about this before, in doing like a, a third wave emo episode. Are you into any of that at all? No, but I think that's probably why I'd be down to do it. Yeah, because I'm with... I, because I like I've never really... 
I'm, I'm not familiar with any of it either. So like, it might be kind of fun to check it out and see what I come up with as five songs. You know what I mean? Cause like, I think it would be interesting because I do want to do stuff that we're not super familiar with. I mean, we've only done like one power metal band. You know, and we've really only done like one black metal band for, right. you know, yeah. for something that you're not super into. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be fun to do bands that we're not into genres. We're not into and stuff that we just don't know much about. Yeah. Cause that's the thing I do like quite a bit of that stuff it's just that there's so 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 much more that i don't and this is a discussion for another time but like like when you saw that did you you saw the the festival in vegas flyer thing no okay yeah oh the when we were young thing yeah 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 oh yeah yeah i'm just everybody's like how are the fuck are you supposed to see this all in one day and i'm like well depending on who's playing at what time i might only need one day you know what i mean like right and you could also i mean for something like that I mean, it's like, dude, there's some of those bands that could walk out there and play three hit songs. And yeah, yeah. That's all anybody's going to want to hear anyway. For sure. You know, um, and, and walk off and have the next band go on, you know? Yeah. So, I'm still wondering if that thing's legit or if it's going to be another fire fest. I've heard so many arguments on both sides. I'm still waiting to hear. I have friends that are for sure going, uh, including some friends of this show. We'll see. Really? Yep, yep, yep. But are we at that point already? Is it? Number one yeah, time? Yeah. Fucking A, man. What's your number one? Ah, okay. Death by milk. About it. Death by milk. Oh, this is the video. So this yeah, is yeah, the video? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I could just never remember the name. <laughs> Rearrange, that's what it is. Okay. okay did, so you've never seen the video? No. Okay, no. so it ends with them dying and they're in purgatory. They're just like, did we die in the milk? And they're like floating in this white space and... Nobody knows what's going on, and Fred Durst just goes, man, I don't know. I tell you what, though, if I could do anything I wanted right now, I'd be hanging out with Method Man. And then he disappears while the rest of the band's in purgatory. And then the follow-up is um, in Together Now, where he just drops out of the sky, and Method Man hands him a controller, and they play video games with Polly Shore. No sense at all. It was the late 90s. It was confusing. Dude, this song is like, it's mostly music. I mean, for sure. I do like the lyrics too, but like, man, that fucking bass line with the drum beat and then that that drone of those, of that tapping from like Wes Borland is like, to me, it's, I love this. I've always loved this fucking song. And I mean, I think it is, I mean, would I call it a masterpiece? Probably, you know, I probably would for what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that good, like, at least musically. Could the, I don't know, because I mean, I like, the, like, the lyrics are really cool, too. Like, it's very introspective, dude. The, but you don't understand what I'm attempting to explain because you know it all, and I guess things will never change. But you might need my hand when falling in your hole. Your disposition, I'll remember when I'm letting go of you and me, we're through and rearrange. Like, it's a good fucking song. It's a good melody line. You know, like, I mean, I don't recall a heavy part, do you? Sort of. It's it's just the end when it's the you keep fucking with me thing. Because, like, even then, it's not that heavy, like, at all. Oh, I, I yeah, barely okay. remember it's there. It's, it's it, that's, when they're, that's when they're dying in the video. And when yeah, I say I like, dying... I like, <laughs> see, I like that, too. You think that everybody's the same. I don't think that anybody's like you. You ruin everything. You kept fucking with me until it's over, and I won't be the same. Yeah. Going over top of it. So it's like, again, it's that layering... And it's it's just really good melody lines going on all the way around. So he's not really going with that bass line melody. I mean, there's really no guitar 
melody at all, riff melody anyway. It's more of a uh, accompaniment part. Mm-hmm. One thing I was looking at, though, was the songwriters. Have you ever looked at that? Not until recently. And even then, I didn't do a really comprehensive like dive so, into it. I was stuck on who the, like some of the features were. Yeah, so there's Wesley Borland, John Otto, Fred Durst, and Sam Rivers, but Bobby Bird, William Griffin, James Brown. Where's the sample? Is that the think about it? <sighs> Maybe. I, I forgot they have to clear some of those samples, too. I, there was a I mean, I can't, I, on that. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I can't really think of anything that's sampled, although there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of almost ambient stuff going on in the background. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. But Bobby Bird, I think, is like a R&B, like jazz artist. Like, I mean, but anyway, like, and this is another one. Like at the time, you know, I've heard this on several like sporting things, WWE things. And this is kind of like right around the time, like with this is like, you know, within like two to three years of me just completely stopping watching WWE. But I mean, it, it's definitely like a—I don't know. I mean, I don't have any really like emotional attachment to it, but it, it does make me feel a certain way that I every once in a while I like feeling like that man, like you're a little bit of a downer, you know. But it's kind of um, like a sunrise downer, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're—it's one of those shit's gonna get better downer kind of thing. So you don't want to listen to it when you're first starting to feel like that because. You need something that's gonna drag you down a little bit further. <laughs> this yeah, yeah, is for the sure. one, this is probably one that's gonna like probably well for me it's gonna lift me up a little bit and it's like sometimes I want to hang out down there whatever. But I really think more so than the lyrics, I think probably like for me it's like the way he sings it is just fucking awesome. There's something to be said for knowing and understanding your strong spots in your range and working with those and when he gets in there, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. the best of it, yeah. I, you know what? I don't think he's as experimental as the rest of the band. I, I mean, okay, as experimental as Wes Borland. Yeah, I think he knows what he can do and he kind of stays there, but he's pretty good at it. Like, you know, it's like, you know, not everybody's got to try and fucking, <laughs> you know, change the game, dude. Like, You know, just do your thing, man. Do your thing and be good at it, you know? And it's like, that's kind of what he does. It's weird because it's like, as much as I don't like him, you know, I mean, there's, like I said, you can like something and not like something about it and vice versa. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the MCU, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a big MCU guy, but fucking dude, some of the movies aren't that great. Mm -hmm. That's okay, man. It's okay. I still haven't seen any of the three before Spider-Man yet. It's not going to make anything fucking worse. You know what I mean? Like, so, Yeah. Yeah. This this whole episode, it's about taking the good with the bad. What do you get? Facts of life. Right? <laughs> True. And I guess that could be the same for any episode. It's just this one more in particular than others, right? Oh, yeah. And now it's time for you. Well, one thing I do want to add, you. going back to the video aspect of this, is like that video didn't come out. You know, the album came out before Woodstock 99. And the video was a reaction to Woodstock 99. So that didn't come out till later. So I kind of, it's not that I have like a pre, it's, it's, somebody was explaining this to me around the time. I loved music videos as a kid. And somebody's all telling me, dude, I fucking hate music videos. I'm like, why? It's like, well, if you, you know, if that visual doesn't jive with what you had in your head or whatever, like it kind of messes things up. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. That's why I don't like them. Yeah. And it's, and it's not that I had like an, a, I'd, my own image for this song, I liked it. 
It's just that it, what then came out was, what the fuck? They're drowning in milk while they're playing? What the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's weird, dude, because that's also one of the reasons why I'm not too terribly big on looking at lyrics. Mm, yeah, for sure. If I don't look at the lyrics, then I might not know what the song's about. Mm-hmm. But once I look at those lyrics, I know what the song's about. Then it can't be what I want it to be about. Dude, Pantera looking at what Phil's actually saying in some of those songs. It's like, what oh, the yeah, dude. fuck, dude? Yeah, it'll Holy ruin it, dude. Shit. It'll ruin it. Yeah. Anyways, speaking of ruining things, my number one, we already talked about, Counterfeit. Oh, shit. I fucking totally spaced that you had said for later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, so th- I was just sitting here thinking, like, what the hell's his number one? Yeah. So, again, I mentioned I saw them playing Sour MTV Spring Break or whatever, somewhere on a beach. I totally forgot to mention, I don't know if the rest of the band was, I'm pretty sure they were, but Fred was sitting on a stool while singing this song. So, or a mosher, this was not clearly. And it took me a while to actually appreciate it for what it was. However, fast forward to October that same year, 1998, seeing on MTV the Family Values tour. The first song they're playing is Counterfeit, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is more of this is more so what I expected and wanted out of out of this. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like it's just it's perfect for a 13 year old in the late 90s, right? So, <laughs> big time. Yeah. I mean, but, it would be even more perfect if you were like 18. Yeah, I suppose. Like I just, you know. Yeah, if I would have been like 17 or 18, and this and Counterfeit, I mean, fuck. And I find out yours, or yeah, looking it up today, apparently it's actually about him being pissed at people biting his style, which I mean, like, if you thought people were biting your style in 1997, dude, (laughs) just you wait a few years. I want to know what that list looks like. Who who was that? Yeah. I mean, it had to have been local fucking dudes, like local East Coasters Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. just, Just you wait, Fred. Just you wait. But no, dude, like I said, you know, it's got the little intro where he's whispering, got the clean guitar thing. Oh, that was another thing I was going to say about Rearrange is something I'm taking away from tonight is they're really, really good at doing the quieter stuff, right? So when they implement yeah, the heavier like, songs... Yeah, they're like deaf tones in that regard. Yeah. And there's like, again, with the loud, quiet dynamic, when it got, you know, there's a lot of buildup in this song between parts. Some of oh, it yeah. isn't, doesn't even make total sense. Like when the verses go into the choruses, like some of it's a little jilted, but like that made total sense for that time. Sometimes you don't need to overthink it, man. Just literally just stop and just start playing the next thing. Yeah, yeah. And going back to what you were saying earlier, dude, when I was trying to figure out guitar when I was a kid, you know, not realizing that Wes is just doing the harmonics. Like, it's it's not even him doing the really riffy bits in the choruses. However, at the end, when he does, and he's going full power chord, and it's sped up a little. Oh, yeah. It's fucking sick. And then the other thing, yeah, the, the little boom, 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 on the bass. God, I remember, dude, like Otto's drum beat behind it is like, yeah. fuck. Yeah, dude. So like, fucking good, dude. As far as actual songs they were known for uh, before the big Faith blow up, dude. I mean, it's obvious as to why this was the biggest one at the time. I remember actually two Halloweens back, Paolo from Trivium was dressed as, uh, I think it was the Heath Ledger Joker. And somebody requested that he try to figure out how to play counterfeit. And it, it was actually pretty cool. Like, he was breaking it down, trying to do that. Dude, 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 dude. Yeah, like, Wasn't, because uh, speaking of, like, the Soulfly thing being recorded right around the same time, in the exact same place, mm-hmm. isn't this what Boomclot is? Is a fake? Something like that. I've, I've heard some explanation like that, yeah. 
It's it's like a Rastafarian thing, right? I think so. Yeah. I again, dude, like the how those whole er, that whole era of things kind of bled together. I just really love that line. You you think you're sick of yourself? Why well, I'm sick of you too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like like lyrically, dude. Like yeah, this this really jived with me. This part in the middle too, I kind of forgot about it. The do 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 do, and it's got the wee. Like yeah. with the guitar, like oh, fuck, man. That was another big trademark of this early era of new metal was just the weird guitar noises. You know what I mean? Like, especially like when you had two guitar players, like Monkey and Head, dude, where they were like trading off and it was going into each ear. It was more of like that House of Pain style, mm-hmm. and also DJ Muggs, dude, Cypress Hill style, because yeah. of the stuff that they were sampling. So they were taking little jazz, jazz and R and B hits, right? Yeah. Just like. Just a one note hit and like making it. Yeah, that's that's very specifically where Corn got it at the end of Blind. Yeah, that's, right. That's what that it's, is. It's is that we're not thing. Going out like that. And then these guys made whole songs out of that thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's yep, like, yep. but I mean, I I would say like the one thing that that some of like at least counterfeit. Mo, I mean, most of the stuff on this first album, the stuff that it does kind of remind me of. Obviously, like I mean, the hip hop parts. It does remind me, it's, I mean, fucking Lethal's in the band, but it reminds me a little bit of the House of Pain, who also did stuff with DJ Muggs. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminds me of Cypress Hill a little bit, who was, I mean, that makes sense because Cypress Hill was like massively popular at the fucking time, you know? So. No, absolutely. No, because I was thinking it's like Limp Biscuit really wasn't coming from gangster rap, so to speak. Like, they were just coming from whatever was going on in the world. I almost wanted to say, like, not run DMC, but kinda. You know, again with the fun factor and all that. Right, House, House of Pain. Pain. Yeah, I mean, literally jump around. I mean, it was they were kind of they kind of had that whole vibe going on, and it's weird because it's like you know they're from the south, you know, and House of Pain was generally known up north, you know. But at the time, I mean, I don't think that um, you know Miami sound was starting to break a little bit, but not, but it hadn't really broke yet. You know, I think uh, the South hadn't really hit, because, I mean, Master P is kind of happening, like, right around this time. You know, so there wasn't really that uh, Flo Rida, you know, Rick Ross, uh, even, even fucking earlier than that, it, like, Trick Daddy, like, that Miami Southern sound. It just, just wasn't mm-hmm. there yet, you know? And so it was like these guys were, instead of, like, Miami rap or even Southern it was like, we have DJ Lethal in our band. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, so we're going to sound like that. And I always I always wondered if that was a conscious decision or not, or if that's just kind of what came out in Borland. Because that style, because of what Lethal did sample, because of what DJ Mug sampled, it really lends itself really well to the drums yeah, and bass. absolutely. Where... Something like old run day, old run DMC might not. Where uh, something where it's like uh, just the big kick drums and whatnot. You know, it might not translate very well. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like where the West Coast stuff was all like the stuff that they were sampling. The majority of it was, you know, yeah. I mean, you could do the bass stuff, but it was like definitely more funky. Yeah, no, for sure. This shit was more jazzy and and R and B. You know, like you think like you know James Brown. I don't know where he's going with that. Um, well, two things real quick. One, I've seen both the videos for this. I can't remember why Jesus they made Christ, two. We're oh yeah, I was looking at that hours. too. <laughs> See, I, I figured it would we would ha- not either have not a lot to say or we'd have too much. 
So far, yeah, that's proved to be. Uh, but, but that's good. But yeah, so so there's two videos for this, and I don't MTV wouldn't show one. I don't remember why. I don't. It's like back before you know. I feel like there was a lot more West Borland aesthetic in this first incarnation on this first record in the aesthetic, whereas Significant Other was almost completely Fred, right? Or it was the hip hop stuff. And I remember the the video, one of the videos at least, being weird circles around the eyes we you know west Bor- extra west borland looking yeah either way doesn't really matter not <laughs> neither of them got a lot of airplay i just i used to remember why they did two videos instead of just leaving it be the one alien ant farm had two videos too but i know that, that story seems weird but yeah man like product of its time oh yeah one thing i wanted to bring up was the it was just an interesting reflection in where hip-hop was at where we were talking about the in together now in 1999 being kind of a, a timestamp of where hip hop was at that time. You know the remnants of the Wu Tang days and all those guys going their solo ways. Oh yeah, having, some of them having really good careers. Method Man, but in that remix for Roland, now that we know it was Swizz Beats, that's what the next big thing was with DMX and Ja Rule and all those dudes. And it's just interesting. I've never put that together, but that was just a year and change later. But that change, you know, it seems like changes happened a lot quicker back then to the point where you didn't notice them at first. That'd be true. We got to do a rap episode, dude. Like, it'd have to be a very specific time. I mean, I've I've thought about it several times, but it's like, Jesus, dude. Like, I don't know. I mean... At one point, I was like, I still keep up, dude. I like Childish Gambino and Tyler, the creator. For me, it's like, for me, I'm I'm just solely thinking of the audience. And I'm thinking like, yeah, people listen to other stuff. But I mean, our podcast name literally is The Metalist. You know, so I'm like, well, at what point does it just become weird to do a fucking rap episode? You know what I mean? Like without the rap metal um, aspect, like the collab episode we did. Yeah, Yeah, man. Just an idea. On that note. How about we get into the top songs? Oh, I got them right here. Okay, so, yeah, the, because they just released now, I kind of got to go in a weird order here. So, oh, dude, it's crazy because, like, their lowest song is their newest song, Out of Style, has 5,631,000. These dudes are, I mean, this band's really fucking popular, you know? But then, and together now, 44 million. And then it is... Hot dog, which that is really surprising to me. Uh, 55 uh, 55 million. Am I reading that right? That's not 55,000, right? That's 55 million, correct? Baby. Yes, it is. It's just blowing my mind that they have this many fucking plays. Truth be told. Fair enough. Next one is Nookie. So that's that's where it's like, whoa. Like, that's that low? 82 82 million plays. 82.2 million plays. Hmm. And that's low. Right, that's the test of time, right there, dude. Just based on everything we're talking about, it's a shock, but it's it's a revelation. So I think that we're at f- number five or six is my generation, which is another one that surprises me at ninety five point three million, and then it's my way. So this is the top five. My way is at one hundred ninety one million seven hundred fifty four thousand plus. Okay, I get it. It was on a WWE thing at yeah. some point. Next one is Behind Blue Eyes, which is that Who cover, so technically it doesn't yeah. count, but 261,256,000, almost 257,000. Hmm. Like, that's, I mean, dude. I forgot they told, I forgot they did that song until I was listening to that album this, this week, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like, because I don't like the original. I didn't know there was an original until years later. 
Oh, I fucking hate mm. the Who. Anyway, take a look around, which is the yeah, Mission Impossible. That's one, what right? I was just gonna say. Was I'm surprised neither so of us have brought that up yet. But actually, that would be number four. Behind Blue Eyes would be number three because this was two hundred twenty-one thousand two hundred forty-six, uh, two hundred twenty-one million two hundred forty-six thousand. Mm. See, this is where you know you're doing a bigger band because I'm not yeah, used to I reading these not, numbers. Yeah. Shit. Case in point. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm just. I'm fucking totally brain farting. Two commas is a million, right? Yeah. God, why am I sad? I, I get. I, you're totally right. We're not this. used to doing stuff like this. So. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. But so number two is break stuff at 280 million. It, it, you know, it's just like holy shit, dude. So you think of Nookie, 82 million, 280 million, and then Roland Air Raid Vehicle, 299 million. They're almost at 300 million plays on that mm-hmm. song. And if you would have asked me how this would have went, I would have said their top three would have been Nookie, Break Stuff, and Roland. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In that order. Most definitely. Revelations. That's why it's good to look into these things. It's fucking crazy. When dude. I came to the realization that Freak on a Leash is actually Korn's biggest song, I was like, huh, now it makes total sense. But like, it's, you know, there's a learning curve, not a learning curve, even just, or even I was looking at Lincoln Park numbers the other day after watching that new metal episode of Metal Evolution going, what the fuck? In the end, really? After, over all these other songs? And I was like, yeah, I guess it makes sense. That might be the only, you know, band that's considered, or song that's considered new metal that cracked a billion plays, which is wild to think. I don't know, man. Like that's Uh. even what we're talking about right here. Lincoln Park's a whole other stratosphere, dude. Like. That'll be interesting. And I feel like there's oh, a yeah, time for dude. that, too, because, nothing, you know what I mean? It hasn't happened yet. There, there's still nothing to be had there. Uh, but real quick, so let me break this down, right? Faith put up on YouTube 12 years ago. 24 million views. Already insane by any standard, if you think about that, right? And then you go Nookie. 108 million views put up at the exact same time. From there, what was the other one? My Generation. I don't know why I kept spacing on this, the name of that one. Again, same time. 108 million views. So kind of close to the same. Break Stuff, 157 million views. And of course, as we now know, Roland, 209 million views. God yeah, man. Damn. So again, I just... Who knew? I guess YouTube knew, but and Spotify and whoever else has the statistics. But like, wow. We're learning something. So, yeah, man. Fucking crazy, dude. Let us... Hey, are you a fan of Limp Bizkit? Do you hate him? Are you somewhere in between? The the less road-traveled, right? Hit us up. Let us know. We love having you in on the conversation. We love talking to you. Thanks for everything. Like, follow, rate, review, subscribe. Favorite? Anything else? I feel like I'm missing one. But either way. Actually, I think there's no subscribe anymore. I think it's... Mostly like yeah, and follow. There's got to be a subscribe somewhere. There's definitely rate and review, man. Like, we definitely need y'all to fucking hit up the reviews. Yes, please. Only if it's five stars. <laughs> but that definitely helps uh, get the word out. So, I mean, we should start showing up in more people's mm-hmm. feeds on their different podcatchers and stuff. So, I guess on... Um, was iTunes? I guess it's kind of a pain because you actually have to go... You have to search our... It's, <laughs> It may have changed, but I think I left one just a little while, a few months ago, and I had to actually, instead of, so I have it like in my, because I follow the, the thing or whatever, the, the show, and I went to it from there. So like you open up that thing, and then you go to the bottom, and it's like you, oh, rate and review, right? 
no, you have to go, you have to get out of whatever it is, like your, you know how like you when you follow them, they go into like your favorites or whatever. You have to get out of that. So you got to search the medalist and then go to, you know, click that, then go to the rate and review, and then it'll actually go through. I know iTunes notoriously has been kind of a pain to leave reviews, but you can also leave reviews on Facebook, I think. And I think now you can leave reviews on Spotify. So we would really appreciate it if you guys left us a review. And if you guys listen to the show, you would know we do read them on the show. So I'm going to do a quick check here. I'd be surprised if we did. It's been so long since we had Mm -hmm. an episode. Okay, so we do not have a new one. And I honestly don't know where to look at it on Spotify. I'll have to find that out. But yeah, you can leave reviews on Spotify now also. So, and you know what? I think you can fucking leave reviews on SoundCloud if that's where you listen to it. So everybody do us a solid. Yes, please. Hit that review and the rate. Thanks again for joining us, folks. This has been been a fun one. It's been a learning experience and we're learning about ourselves in the process. So again, hit us up. Let us know what your favorite stuff is. Love talking to you. God, we could just flap our fucking gums. Oh, yes. (laughs) Until next time, eat your veggies. Fuck your prayers. Later.